Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one. Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction. Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. I'm very happy to say that this is season two of Ear Seduction, the first episode. And in this episode, we are going to start what I hope to be a very long and fruitful tradition of interviewing people that have different worldviews than I do and trying to find common ground and understanding. Now, I'm going to label this uh, conversations with a fundamentalist Christian, Nathan Spears. I first met Nathan while sitting on a podcast produced by Brew Theology. Brew Theology is a meetup and a podcast show. And I was asked after going to a Brew Theology meetup and making an impression on one of the nice ladies I met there to do one of their podcasts. I did podcasts, uh, episodes number 96 and 97. They're entitled Zombie Worldview, part one and two. And again, the podcast's name is Brew Theology. After the show, uh, Nathan sought me out uh, to ask further questions. He explained to me that he was very interested in having deep, meaningful conversations regarding religion, secularism, philosophy, worldviews, ethics, and morality. Now, I didn't think much of it at the time, but after starting my own podcast, uh, I reached out to him and asked if he'd like to join me on my show, he accepted. The following three episodes are the interviews and discussions that followed our initial email correspondence where I invited him onto my show. I have decided to publish them in their entirety, minus some mouth noises and other interruptions. Uh, My decision to do that was uh, threefold. Uh, For one, I wanted to show you everything that we discussed so that you could hear every minute of our conversation, both the good and the bad. For two, I wanted Nathan to be heard. He was opening up to me in a very vulnerable way, and he deserves to be heard in his entirety. Three, these types of long-form discussions, I believe, are invaluable as a tool for you to understand the mindset of a theist and how they're used to being treated and exactly how my treatment of them is slightly different. Now, again, I hope that this is the beginning of a, a long tradition here on Ear Seduction, where I'm able to interview people Uh, theists and and other type folks uh, that don't believe the same way I do, that don't think the same way I do. Uh, And for three episodes, at least, uh, I have Nathan here to to be that uh, interlocutor. Now, I have to tell you, these three episodes are long. They're really long. Uh, The first episode here is about two hours, two and a half hours. For your benefit, um, I was going to summarize these episodes and publish them after publishing the long form interview. I'm still probably going to do that. I just haven't found a way to do it that is time productive. It's the program I'm using to edit this, uh, these episodes is really not working for for that purpose. It's just it's just a crappy program. So what I might do is talk about what was said uh, and give you sort of the highlights. But so far, I haven't figured out exactly how I want to do that. But hopefully it does show up on this season because that is my goal. Um, Another reason why I really wanted to publish these interviews in their entirety uh, is because I think uh, listening to them in their uncut form, you really get a sense of how we were both feeling and thinking and all of the different uh, intimate interactions that we shared on the show. Um, Nathan did a very good job of 
just being himself and expressing himself. And whether or not that was positive or negative, whether he was feeling positively or negatively towards me, that really came out in the show. As an interviewer, I tried to stay fairly even keeled. I tried to keep my emotions basically, you know, as as a, you know, sort of open and and amiable. Uh, but I, you know, got frustrated at times and so on. But Nathan really went through a very interesting, I thought, range of emotions throughout these interviews. Now, I am going to do, no matter what happens, I am going to do a critique of Nathan's position at some point after these three episodes. Um, I really hope you tune in for that as well. Uh, Nathan had a very, a couple of very specific things that he wanted to talk about. And I mean, I, I, I push back against those in these episodes, those things that he wanted to talk about. I push back against those in, in these three episodes and, and we talk back and forth. I don't just give him the floor and then say nothing. Uh, but I didn't really take a huge amount of time uh, really hammering home why he was like wrong, for instance. And I think, you know, it'll benefit you, the listener, to be able to hear what I did say in the interview, probably recognize some of the ways which I could have done better as far as pushing back or proving my point or whatever. But it'll be very helpful for you to listen to that episode, that critique of these three uh, episodes later on to hear the real uh, the real pushback after I've had a lot of time to think about it, after I've had some time to, you know, I'm not, I'm not just responding on the fly. I can actually speak to these. Um, points that Nathan was trying to make. So I'm very excited for all of that. I hope you guys are excited for all of that. And without further delay, I bring you Nathan Spears. Uh, I'm here with very special guest, uh, a friend of mine, Nathan Spears. I, I didn't want to introduce you specifically in any sort of way other than just saying your name. So how would you introduce yourself as, as it pertains to this conversation? Mm, I am, well, I was recently chrismated into the Orthodox Church, which is uh, an old form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so I consider myself a Christian. I think I would say that I consider myself a Christian foremost in that mm-hmm. the Christian framework shapes my worldview. Okay. And then... Um, after that, I would say that I am here as someone who has lost and then regained an appreciation of religious ways of seeing the world and understanding the world mm-hmm. and being in the world. And, um, and as such, uh, having gone from fundamentalist Christianity to a very rational perspective and then back to a more religious perspective, I feel like I have a lot of sympathy for, not not sympathy as if it needs sympathy, but I have a lot of insight into the rationalist perspective and why many religious people have been so bad at communicating into that. So that's why I'm here to hopefully um, uh, at least give my perspective on, on that path that I took and, mm-hmm. um, and to hear from you maybe what I've missed along the way. Sure. And just for our listeners, I think the the reason why we wanted to have this conversation, and we just talked about it in in our little pre-session, but uh, is to see if there is some higher ground that we can reach and some understanding that we can have. So if there's some truth in Nathan's position, I want to take it on board and and take it on as true in my own worldview. And I'm hoping he'll give me the same courtesy. And I'm hoping that if there's a way for us to meld our two worldviews together, because I'm coming from a secular uh, perspective, I'm coming from, uh, he's calling it, you're calling it rationalism. I'm not necessarily a rationalist in the strict sense of the word as far as philosophy is concerned. Uh, 
but I'm definitely coming from a scientific worldview. And um, I'm trying to see if there's a way to meld these two together and kind of, and kind of take on board mentally so that I can evolve my thinking as a person. And mm. then hopefully you can too, or maybe not or whatever. But I think the, the conversation, the, the laying out of these ideas and the going through them, the, the act of doing that and, and working through them together uh, is, is worthwhile and very worthwhile. And I hope that our listeners uh, appreciate what we go, where we go with this and, and how it works out. So one of the things that I wanted to say, first of all, you're using the word rationalism and I just wanted to define it as the dictionary defines it. And then I wanted to ask you kind of what you think it is or okay. if, if there's a difference. I guess. So uh, rationalism, according to the dictionary, is a belief or theory that opinions and actions should be based on reason and knowledge rather than on religious belief or emotional response. Now, there's actually a, a... in philosophy, there's sort of it, philosophy has a slightly different meaning, and there's a whole rationalist position in philosophy, and that is the theory that reason rather than experience is the foundation of certainty in knowledge, mm. and that's where I part ways with rationalism. Okay, so I don't believe that pure reason, it, as, apart from experience or apart from evidence, is really the key mm. there. It, it depends on how you define experience, but I think experientially is how we get evidence. And I think that's where I part with rationalism. Mm. I'm not a pure reason guy. Um, I'm more on the other side, the critique of pure reason. And I want to, I want to get into the nitty gritty evidence of things. Okay. Um, But, but I just wanted to lay that out there. Is that what you're suggesting rationalism is, or is that what your understanding of it is? What? Yes, absolutely. Um, So I think you mentioned the phrase methodological naturalism, which is sort of a... Yeah, that's that's where I... It encapsulates that we need to to use reason and we want to found it. It has to be connected to reality in some way. Right, Right, yeah. I'm going to construct logical syllogisms and they need to be sound and valid. And for that to happen, Nash... um, uh, yeah, I need to use some rationalism, but I also have to use some skepticism and methodological naturalism. So one of the things that I, and we can get into, I think you're going to read a quote from one of my emails. So we'll get into that. But before I yeah. say that, one of the things that I f- um, believe that I see happening with a lot of people who call themselves, uh, who would insist that they like to use evidence for everything, is that they actually slide back and forth between a methodological naturalism and a sort of groundless rationalism where they have, they they sort of miss the point at which they get away from the evidence and, um, and begin begin using logical constructions, logical being like consistent, right? But not connected to any evidence. Mm, sure. That makes sense. So I feel like that's a pretty common pattern among the, I don't know, like, I don't want to use a derogatory term for this because, um, like the scientifically minded. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. And, and I see, I, I see that too sometimes. I mean, okay. I think that's a very human thing to do is to mm-hmm. add on ex- extra information that can't be derived from the evidence. And, you know, that's why Occam's razor is so useful, right? I mean, if you're applying that, uh, idea and, and that methodology to your thinking, you, you're hopefully able to recognize that additional bits that you added on that don't belong there Mm. and then just slice them away. Um, But okay, so one of the things uh, I wanted to touch on, so we've been emailing back and forth uh, trying to coordinate this for one and then also trying to discuss uh, sort of our positions but also kind of what we want to get across and and some of the things that we want to achieve. And 
I mentioned this before, but just so our listeners hear it, um, I'm really hoping that this is the first of a series of conversations where we cover an array of topics or potentially where we pick up where we left off because we get sick, you know, Mm. tired or have other, you know, schedule constraints or something like that. It is Um, mentally taxing to communicate across frameworks because especially when you're actually trying to connect and not just talking down or talking into the void or whatever. Right. Yeah. If you're not trying to talk past somebody and just get your, you know, do a gish gallop or whatever, and you're actually trying to engage, yeah, it can be taxed. Right. Um, but I wanted to read this little excerpt. So there was a, you sent me an email and it was basically, I was, I was asking you, what would you like to talk about and mm. how would you like to discuss it? And I'm just going to quote you here. So, um, and you're welcome to change this if anything's changed, but you said basically this, uh, and quote, my approach will be to flat out deny that science, reason, and evidence are tools capable of describing all of reality. Instead, they are useful for telling a story about aspects of reality, namely the aspects they are looking for. Uh, and you say the causal, the physical, the repeatable, the reducible, the isolatable. I think that I can demonstrate this reasonably without recourse to religious arguments. You have arguments and quotes there. But I cannot demonstrate it with the kind of evidence that would satisfy you by strict rationalist requirements. So to me, that sounds like a very lofty, to me, that does sound like quite a feat. And, and it, it intrigues me to hear where we're going to go with this and how we're going to get there. And that's really why I wanted to have this conversation with you. I also wanted, as I said before, to take on board whatever, whatever nuggets of reality and truth are, are within this conversation and your approach, because I do want there to be, um, I do want there to be validity to your argument. I, I just don't know how we're going to get there yet. I, mm. I just don't fully understand. Um, you go on to say, however, I will also try to demonstrate that you cannot justify a rationalist position by strict rationalist requirements either. Instead, I'll argue that you have to assume a priori that a, rela- that a rationalist position is inherently the best position, end quote. So I just wanted to get that out on the table. That's what we, in our emailing back and forth after going over a few different you know, outlines and what we may or may not talk about and, mm. and things that we were concerned about, like, well, I don't want to have this kind of talk right, and I don't right. want to do that during the, this talk or whatever. Um, I decided... <clears throat> To just say, why don't we focus on these two things? These were the two first things you brought up in our first email. So it was, I thought, your yeah. your greatest thrust, the sure. thing you really wanted to tackle first. So <clears throat> why don't we just dive into that? Or, okay. or if you have anything else you'd like to add before we do. So the only thing I would add is that I've listened to and and met a lot of people who have made a similar journey that I've made. And I think that the path that each one of them finds to um, to this type of experience that, that I'm going to talk about uh, of finding your way out of um, seeing reason and evidence as being descriptors for all of reality is often different. There's, I think there's many ways to see it, but um, some of them are more experiential and mystical than others. And what I've tried to focus on is how can I communicate with a, let's say a logical, it's not even a logical argument. It's more like a, a logical analysis of the tool set that, that is science and evidence in such a way that, that might be more useful for someone who has a scientific mindset to begin to see that, that sort of door. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll sort of put that down. Um, and I've thought a lot about this because it's, it's, well, it's crucial, right? I think uh, that the the gap between 
science and faith. Like we met at Brew Theology, right? Um, yeah, we went to, yeah, that's where we first met. And, and you guys were nice enough to invite me onto a podcast and that was great. <laughs> and I think, well, we started, I would say we, the seeds of this conversation were there in which you and I were having a certain kind of conversation yeah. and that conversation made uh, a couple of the other guests on the podcast a bit uncomfortable because yeah, maybe. they feel like... Well, I, I can't speak for them, but I think that the reason is that if I bring, like, if I go to Brew Theology and I bring up, we need to talk about this science thing, like, people get uncomfortable mm -hmm. because they just don't know how to deal with the question. They can see that there's a conflict between faith and science yes. or between religious ways of being and scientific ways of being, however you want to say that, and they don't know what to do about it. They know that science is responsible for an incredible amount of, of good things in the world, but they also can sense the threat that it is to religious ways of thinking and being, and they don't know how to reconcile it, and they don't they don't want to think about it too hard. Yeah, I get the same impression. I, I, I spoke with somebody else from Brew Theology about this conversation, about what we're doing right now, asking if they would like to participate or if they knew of somebody that would, that your name came up. I, I had already reached out to you at that point anyway. Uh, but the impression I got from him was that he was a presuppositionalist. So he was saying essentially God is and talking about whether God is not is 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 boring. Okay. God is. So why why are we talking about whether or not God is? And I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, well that's your that's that's a very common uh starting place for a lot of religiously minded people and they're not as concerned about why God is. They're just saying God is. So mm -hmm. they're forgetting all about the epistemology and moving right into metaphysics. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And they claim it with some authority, I don't know what. But but they in other words, he was saying I'm not interested in that conversation. Right. Right. Um or it's boring to me. Um and I'm very interested in that conversation and it's also very it seemed to me to be something that turned you on a lot when we were talking about stuff uh, at Brew Theology but then also on the podcast that you guys were nice enough to invite me to sure. um, we went back and forth often and, and a lot and we kind of took up more airtime I think than they wanted us to um, because it, we both seem to be very interested in, yes. in this this part of the topic the epistemology I think I'm alive to it because I uh, it's not that I it's not that I see where it's wrong. It's that I think it's the crucial question of our age. Like what, and I, you know, I could be completely wrong, right? I fully admit that. I don't think that I have some higher truth that you don't have access to, but I think that this is where our society is sort of teetering yeah. is. And not just ours, but other, other societies in the world. Mm, and as those societies are increasingly exposed to um, industrialization and the Western mindset, they're going to come in, in contact more and more with, like, this is what, uh, this is one sort of religious instructions that I've been handed. And then in school, I'm, you know, potentially learning uh, a, a completely different story. Yeah. And so how do we reconcile those things? Is it possible to reconcile those things? I think it's the most interesting question of our times. Yeah, I agree. And in a lot of ways, I think it's a 400-year-old question, right? Since, Since the invention of science yes since the birth of what we would think of as modern science with the full yeah. like the full methodological naturalism you know a lot of those guys were christians or at least deists but sure. they've they've started down this path which 400 years later now it's completely unnecessary for a scientist to have any religious position in order to do their job right yeah so, well i think yeah i think that's a good way to put it i think a lot of scientists and scientifically minded people recognize the 
the superfluousness of, of religions and the religious thought. God isn't needed anymore because mm. we have a theory of gravity and we have a theory of relativity. And mm. we have, you know, we have all these other theories. We have right. chemical theories. We have uh, biological theories. We don't need to say that. And I thought this was a, a very... Uh, reasonable position to take pre-Darwin. We we couldn't really account for how we got here, so we, we thought, well, maybe we were created. There seems to be some kind of design. Mm. Um, and then Darwin came and just blew that out of the water. I mean, showed us, demonstrated to us that we evolved. And so that, to me, was kind of the last... I mean, I think humanity and humans itself was the, the, is still, in some sense, the focal point of religion. Mm. And, and I mean that in the sense that they like to heighten the, the importance of humanity above all others. Um, uh, and they do that because we're, quote unquote, cr- you know, created in God's image. Uh, but when we can demonstrate that if that's true, then God is essentially an ape, mm. then how are we, you know what I mean? Where does, where does that advantage come from there? I mean, we are apes. Uh, we, we're a lot of things, but one of the things that we are, we're also primates. Uh, we're also old world monkeys. We're also chordates. We're also, you know, we're also a, fish. We're, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, in some sense, yeah, the, there's, when you get into cladistics, it gets very, very particular, but um, seems it, it seems to just sort of vanish this idea that God created us in His own image, and so I think it's it's that that's sort of the pull, right? And it just continues to be battered by the scientific method year after year after year as we discover more about what we are, who we are, where we came from, and ultimately what our purpose is, if, mm. if there is such a thing. Not only, I don't know if you had a chance to read uh, that epilogue of the Passion of the Western Mind, but he brings up that in the 20th century, we added another layer. So if the if the dismantling of the Christian, and I, I think I brought this up in um, in the zombie material, but I had to edit some of it out. There was this threefold sort of uh, dismantling of the previous mindset, which Western civilization had sort of run on through Copernicus, um, Darwin, and then Freud, where Copernicus shows we're not the center of the universe. Darwin shows we're not the crown of even earthly creation. And then Freud shows that we're not even the master of our own house. Um, we're not like, like our ego is not even in control of what's going on in our own bodies, right? And so that was a real... Those were three shattering blows to to the Western psyche, and we're still trying to recover. So with that as an introduction, I think I could go into trying to explain what I was saying in those quotes you read earlier. Yeah, why don't we get into... Because we, I think we've... We've sort of danced a little bit, and we've yeah. kind of talked a little bit, and yeah. we've com- we've already found some common ground, and it seems like we're we're getting somewhere in our argument, or at least in our. Di- I keep saying argument. I mean discussion. <laughs> this is a discussion. It's an amiable, friendly discussion. Mm. Um, but let's get into it. So you want to flat out deny that science, reason, and evidence are tools capable of describing all of reality? Can you start off there? Can yep. you can you give us yes. some starting point? So I think the the most the clearest way to see this is that science is is trying to describe reality, right? I would say that's one of its goals. Like, it has many different techniques and many different branches of science, but ultimately, we're trying to find some sort of evidence or data from reality mm-hmm. and then use a theory, a hypothesis, a model to um, describe that data in such a way that future data falls into our prediction, right? And we can validate or invalidate the hypothesis. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I maybe would modify that a little bit, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So the um, the first thing that I would 
well, not the first thing. I've said the first thing. The, the next step that I would want to take from there is to say that I'm going to describe science as a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a tool which humans use. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And if this tool is aiming to describe all of reality, then what it needs to be able to do eventually, maybe it can't start out here, but eventually it needs to be able to describe the hand that is wielding the tool. And we got into this a little bit in our emails. So we talked about um, consciousness and the nature of consciousness, um, which I won't gesture to as some sort of proof of anything. I'll just say that humans are the thing which is using science, right? right. Science is not doing itself. No, yeah. Carbon atoms are not doing science. Fish are not doing science. Monkeys are not doing science. Humans are doing science. Right. And for the sake, of, yeah. You. I mean, yeah. Okay. I was just going to say because some animals do seem to be, in some sense, scientifically literate. They're not doing science like we are, though. You mean like uh, crows being able to sort of experiment and see? Yeah, yeah. We're seeing the scientific method in the way animals behave, but that's not a defeater okay. to what you're saying. Okay. Humans are doing science. And so what, what I want to gesture to is that the thing which is trying to figure out the universe, the thing which is able to create and comprehend patterns which were incomprehensible before is this element of humanity. We can call it consciousness. We can call it the soul. We could call it intelligence. I I wouldn't draw a direct connection between the Christian idea of the soul and intelligence, but there's something there which is finding patterns where there were none before. And um, when science is in my opinion science is and i know science is investigating these things right they're investigating the nature of consciousness the nature of cognition yeah but we don't have an explanation for that yet and what i think uh i think there's two two problems with this one is that um we talk about science as if it's capable of describing all of reality but we don't like by definition with science because of the nature of empirical evidence we can't point science at the interiority of experience and the interiority of experience is where science is actually happening it's where hypotheses are generated it's where new patterns of connection between data arise in some sense like I know arise is kind of a goofy word there, but... Recognized, you mean? Because the patterns in data are out there, right? The strawberry seeds, as they swirl around the strawberry, is a pattern that we see in all of nature. Mm. But recognizing that pattern Mm. occurs in the mind. Is Mm. that what you're suggesting? Because the patterns aren't in our mind. The patterns are a recognition. We recognize these patterns as Mm. we study more and more of the world or, or... you know, of the universe. I think that's a fair beginning to that conversation, but I don't want to jump down that rabbit hole just yet. So to say recognize is, that's a tricky word because I recognize your face. I've seen you before. To recognize a pattern in nature is to say, what exactly? You haven't seen the pattern before, but now you see it. That's not a recognition of the same kind, right? Well, maybe. We can we can move on from okay. that and maybe right. get into it in a little All bit. Right. But yeah, I think... Um, the first, the first thing I would say initially is, as you said, so science is, is trying to describe reality. And one of the things that it can't describe is consciousness. And this is a problem. Um, now, I have, a, I have a position on consciousness, um, but I, I'm curious, 
how is this not a God of the gaps? Mm. We have a gap in understanding. Plug in a supernatural or a mystical or some other, you're calling it religious thought or religious mindset or you say religious thinking. Um, why is that of acceptable? I mean, uh, as far as like getting to the answer, when it, when has yeah. that ever worked in the past, sure. and is it not just another gap? No, that's a fair question. Um, so let me. I mean, I want to answer your question. Yeah, please. But I want to also finish laying out the sort of two point uh, uh, thing about reason and evidence. Okay. Um, the uh, the second step from there is to say that sort of based on what we were just talking about about these three blows to the uh, to the previous cosmos and worldview of Western civilization um, what the point of the zombie material was without getting into all the zombie stuff is that what science did or what science has done basically is to take the Christian worldview and supplement little transplants in each of those three places and call that the scientific worldview. So okay. I don't think that science has created a worldview. It just took the Christian one, which was there before and made a few modifications to it and is basically asking all of the same questions and just giving different answers. Okay. So I don't think that science has done the work of creating a worldview. And I, I don't know if you have this in front of you, but I uh, sent out what I think is a pretty great definition of a worldview by a cognitive scientist named John Verveke, uh, which is basically that a worldview is a, uh, a picture or a model of the world and of an agent in that world such that the agent's actions make sense. Sure. Something like that. Sure. So uh, those would be my two critiques of. Um, Can you you were you were talking about? Okay, so um, do you have any example? Because what, what you were okay, so if if I were to think of an example just off the top of my head, okay, where you're saying science has borrowed from Christianity and plugged in a few different, I guess, variables right. to play off of. Um, so in Christianity, uh, everything began with the voice of God bringing into existence initially the heavens and the earth. Mm. And what science says is that we've had what we're calling a big bang, which was a grand expansion of time, space, and matter, mm. not the heavens and the earth. The earth came many, many billions of years later. Light was not the second thing to be quote unquote created. Um, so it, it, dis it demonstrates that the view or the worldview that, religion gave us initially is incorrect now it had some of the elements right light it has some of the same words we do have a science of light we do understand light but the 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 order was all wrong and the time frame and all that there was no calculus in the in the bible or or in the in the religious stories pick any of them um is is that what you're yes suggesting exactly. or what are you suggesting based on that because that to me sounds like science gave us an updated version i would say religious or religious thought or religious books or our religious history was some of our early attempts to describe what the universe is and our place in it, mm. they just had a lacking issue of no scientific evidence. And mm. now that we have the evidence, we have a more accurate story. Is mm. that I've got two notes so far. We've got God of the Gaps we want to come back to, and, yeah. and now we're talking about creation stories. Okay, so I want... But in direct response to what you yes. were saying, I, yes. I don't know how no, 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 we're... I'm not, I'm not saying you're skipping around. I'm just making notes for things that I want to come back to. Okay. Of course. So, um, so what I would say is that in the Judeo-Christian worldview, we would say that 
um, we have an account of the world. I'm going to zoom back a little bit, and I, I completely understand your criticisms of the specifics of the creation story, but I want to zoom back a little bit just to say that what we have is an account of the world and that God made it. Mm-hmm. And then we have an account of what the basic problems are, like what is the frame for um, for how to understand who we are. So we start with this this idea of the fall and um, and then you know the sort of the adventures of Israel as it becomes uh, to be a nation and the the trials and tribulations of Israel and then uh, Jesus comes in and for Christians of course and um, presents various solutions to the problem tells us uh, like this is where we were headed this is uh, this is the goal of what humankind is and uh, this is what kind of people we are and this is how we should live and um, I think that science hasn't fundamentally altered any of that framing. It's just replaced pieces of it. So it's replaced um, details about the creation story. It's replaced details about how we came to be and what we therefore are. And um, there's been an attempt to replace the details of how we should live. Um, I think we'll talk more about, you know, morality and that sort of thing. Yeah. As we I'd get love into to, that. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Um, so that's, that's sort of my general answer to that is that science hasn't questioned any of the, 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 the basic nature of that framing. It hasn't said like, we should be asking some other question. The, the question of how we came to be is, um, it hasn't told another story. It's told almost the exact same story, just with the details modified in such a way that it shows that um, the religious answers were wrong. But in the way that it's directly opposed to the religious story shows just how tightly it's bound to the religious story that was there already. So you're saying just because it's answering the same question, where did we come from or how how did all of the universe happen, that it somehow invalidates science in no. relation to religion? No, what I'm saying is that what that shows is that science hasn't built a worldview from the ground up. It hasn't answered those questions of like... Does it need to, to be to disqualify religion or to be more correct? I think that... If all that science offers in a worldview is an invalidation of religion, then that is doubly not useful because it takes away a mode for people to be in the world and doesn't offer a replacement. Okay. Does that make sense? Kind of. I don't know mm-hmm. what your gripe is on science in this in this context. It's you're not saying, a gripe. It's. It, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, that's fine. Uh, you're saying though that you want to tell us why science or deny that science, reason, and evidence are tools capable of describing all of reality. And your initial con- your initial problem with science is that it's borrowing from religion. And the reason why it's borrowing from religion, or the example that you give, is that it looks to answer a lot of the same questions, like where did we come from? And where did the universe come from? Mm. And how did that, what process was that? What, what, how? Basically answer the how, right? How did this happen? Mm. How did reality happen? What can we get from reality? What can we say definitively about reality? Mm. And then your other problem with it is that it doesn't have a very, its own worldview. It's, it because it's asking the same questions, it's for some reason not as valid or not as 
useful. I, I don't understand that part exactly. Um, but then also it doesn't tell us how we ought to live. Mm. And I would push back on all three of those, but I'm curious, why does that, how does that deny that reason and evidence are tools capable of describing all of reality. Mm. What's what's being missed there? Okay. So let's go back to the God of the gaps. Um, I just wanted to get both of those out as sort of the framing of, of what I'd like to present as a position. Um, so let's go back to the criticism about the God of the gaps. Okay. I think what you're suggesting is that because we don't know how consciousness works yet, I'm saying something like God is hiding in in that consciousness somewhere. I don't know. And, I'm, I'm curious. And, yeah. and when, uh, and when we do use science to figure out what consciousness is, then I will be sort of retreating backward and backward into, well, we don't know this. We don't know that yet. That's the God of the gaps criticism, right? Yeah. Well, anytime somebody brings up, oh, well, science doesn't fully understand this yet. Therefore there's some validity to my religious worldview. I immediately jump to the God mm. of the gaps. Why is there any validity to your worldview? Just because science doesn't know. Perfect. Aren't we able to just say we don't know? Right. And why can't, why do we need to plug in something that we also don't sure. know? Now, uh, I want to say at this point that what my path to a religious mindset is, is not there's a problem in this mindset, therefore this mindset. That's not a useful, that's not a useful um, jump to make, right? Like, yeah, just because my, my just because my worldview might be wrong doesn't mean yours is automatically right. Absolutely. Yours has to stand or, or fall on its own merit. So that's perfect. That's, that's exactly the position. So I don't think that's useful. And that's not actually the path that I took in my own life. The path that I took in my own life was that um, when I had begun to sort of root out the Christianity of my youth and to try to replace it with more rational ways of being and seeing the world, uh, more reasonable, evidence-based, right? Um, that the more that I stripped away, the more trouble I was having um, sort of replacing things which I, let's say, wanted to be true um, with rational or reasonable or evidence-based um, suppositions. And so I didn't uh, – it wasn't that I – was trying to choose between two worldviews. I was inside of a rational perspective, looking at a rational perspective with the rational tools that I have, right? Mm -hmm. My tools are evidence and reason. And so my point of that science can't explain what consciousness is, is not, um, not a justification for a leap to another worldview. It's just pulling out these bricks in I wouldn't even say that there's like a, there's nobody out there going science can explain what consciousness is right or if they are then they're mostly getting ignored because um, yeah I mean I've heard people I've heard people say things like if we know one thing we know consciousness exists but mm. I don't know they've never supported that with anything mm. and I'm speaking specifically of like Sam Harris and some of the neuroscientists that are out there saying consciousness definitely exists we just don't know what it is or how to describe it to me that's exactly the same as saying we don't know if consciousness exists but we seem to think it does yes it's essentially where free will was before the studies that showed that your brain makes up your mind before you're aware of it that's right and so free will at the very least now we cannot say wait, it, wait, say, it exists say that again one more time that it consciousness right now is in the same position free will was before 
this the research came before we came to the understanding through research that your mind makes up you make up your mind before you're consciously mm. aware of it so that you don't have free will in the sense that we were thinking what we can say for sure about free will is that we don't know if we have it we don't know if it exists okay. if it does we haven't found it yet and we cannot assume that we have it mm. and we have a very good case that we don't have it but but that case needs to be made i would say consciousness is in in the same position before that research we think we have it it seems like we have it but we can't point to it and we haven't found any falsification for it yet mm. so we don't have a, a we don't have a test that we can perform that shows us that we don't have it right like we do for free will okay. we do have a test now that shows us that we don't have free will in the, in the way that we thought we did so i think you're making reference to some of the fmri studies that were done about the decision in regards making? to free will yeah 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 so um i just saw this i want to say a week and a half or two weeks ago. But basically, uh, well, the, the point was that um, someone came up with an interesting way to, um, to put that assumption to the test, the, the, the findings of that studies. And more generally, um, the fMRI studies are, are basically all tumbling down because they, uh, they were generally done with poor statistical analysis. Uh, and I think a lot of the, I don't need to make a broader point there. So I think that that is a great entryway into the kind of um, what I would say reasonable position that I want to make, which is that in order to assert that we don't have free will, you have to trust science's findings over your own uh, internal perspective and interiority of how you experience life. Because the way that you experience life, you're exercising free will all the time. You're making decisions all the time. Well, it depends. I mean, you'd have to define free will into existence mm. in that way. Mm. You would have to say that free will is just being able to make decisions. But we'd have to parse that out. What mm. is this? Is this how you want to demonstrate that that we're not going to be able to use science, reason, and evidence for describing all of reality? Or is this because I still want to make sure we cover that? Like, yep. If, you're, if your position is, is that, as you said, you'll flat out deny that science, reason, and evidence are tools capable of describing all of reality, and you can demonstrate this reasonably without recourse to religious arguments, I'm wondering, and, and so far you've said, and I'm just trying to cover this ground so that I, I make sure I understand what you're saying. So right. far you've said we don't have a real understanding of consciousness, and that somehow demonstrates that science, reason, and evidence are not capable of describing all of reality? Is that what you're saying? That is... That is the basic point that I want to make, yes, <clears throat> which is because, like, I think I brought up the idea of uh, of dark matter in uh, in the email chain, right? So you yeah, said, we well, talked about that. if science can't describe dark matter, why is that not as big of a problem as the fact that science can't describe consciousness? Right. right? Okay. I think that's a, there's, the, the categorical difference is that dark matter is not doing science. Consciousness is doing science. So... Assuming that we have like a broad enough definition of consciousness that we can sort of, I'm gesturing at something and I see your point that we haven't even really defined what it is or understood what it is yet, right? We well, might. We don't really know what consciousness is. So and we, that, 
that does that does speak to your point. Science, reason, and evidence so far are not capable of describing consciousness. That's right. And I'm, I would be willing to concede that uh, science will be able to understand what dark matter is, given enough time, given sophisticated enough instruments, assuming that dark matter is not uh, like antimatter eating the universe or whatever, and when we get to it, it's going to eat us too. <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> like, assuming that we're not annihilated in the process of trying to understand it, if it's a physical property of the universe, then, um, then I trust that given enough time, humans and the scientific method will be able to understand what it is. The reason that consciousness presents such a much bigger problem for me is because if consciousness is something more than um, a, a chain of physical events, then the fact that it's the thing which is more than a chain of physical events, which is using the scientific method to analyze patterns and physical events in the universe, that's incredibly important. And the fact that science has not been able to generate any theory of what could be doing itself is a huge gap for me. It's like the most important gap. It's like somebody holding a flashlight and saying, I can see everything, but they haven't been able to point the flashlight at themselves. So, so they're not including themselves in their definition of reality. So, okay. So let me just see if I understand. So what you're saying is essentially that because we don't understand what consciousness is and consciousness is the thing that's doing science, we shouldn't trust science because it's not taking into account that which is doing science. It's not that we shouldn't trust it. It's that we should understand that the patterns that it's finding in reality are so far a subset of reality. And that subset is whatever we're pointing this flashlight of science at. Sure. But if we can turn the flashlight around and point it at ourselves, then we would be able to say, we understand the thing which is doing science and all of the things which science uh, is telling us about the physical world. So it's not that we can't trust science. I mean, I love science. I'm a computer scientist. Well, I'm a computer programmer, but I got a degree in computer science, right? Like, sure. I love science. Um, I think it's amazing. And I love staying up on, um, on the latest findings and so forth from a layperson's perspective, um, particularly with regard to cognitive science, because I think that's so interesting. But it's not that I think that the that what science is telling us is flawed. It's that I think that it's incomplete. I think that it doesn't describe all of reality. You see what I'm getting at there? I no, I understand what you're saying. I would not. I would agree that science does not describe all of reality yet, mm. um, and it may never. Um, and it may never even get to the consciousness. It mm. may not. Mm. It may be true that consciousness doesn't exist or that it just appears to exist, kind of like uh, free will. Um, but I don't understand why this is a problem or why this now opens the door mm. to religious thinking. Like, just because science can't tell us what consciousness is and we have to utilize consciousness, assuming that it's a real thing, we have to utilize consciousness in order to do science. Why is that a problem? Why is that? Yeah, why Perfect. is that a problem? Because let me just say this before we go on. Whether or not we have a consciousness... We see the benefits, the value, and the advancement science has given us in our world. So 
whether or not we understand consciousness, we already know and can demonstrate that science functions. It functions at a very high level and it brings home the bacon. Mm. I mean, we're only able to do what we're doing right now, like having a podcast and all that, because we figured out how to mic people's voices and transmit them over the internet. That's all science. That's, there was no religious thought that got us to that. Mm. It had to, it had to be evidence-based reason and science to mm. do that. So I'm just, I'm just curious why, why is that a problem? Okay. What's, what's the problem with science not being able to describe all of reality? So let me go back to the second thing that I said, which is about the worldview, right? Yeah. The worldview is a model of the world and a model of the agent in the world such that the agent's actions make sense. Sure. So if we can't point this flashlight at the agent, if we assume that the consciousness is the agent, if the interiority of my myself, my being, how I generate patterns in the world is the agent, and science can't look at that, then how can science help me build a worldview which includes my interiority into a worldview? Okay. Does that connection make sense? Kind of. I don't... I don't know that I follow you entirely. It sounds like we're getting out of the realm of science and we're getting more into the realm of how ought we behave. Um, I don't know that I would make a hard and fast distinction between science and how ought we behave um, because I think science uh, sheds light on how we ought to behave. But um, I'm not sure that I follow you exactly. I'm not sure that that makes sense to me in its entirety because I just don't see how, okay, a lack of understanding of consciousness. It's not that we don't have, we don't have, we have a full understanding, I think, of human beings, right? The cladistics, uh, our evolutionary history, in other words. Um, we understand our biology. We, under- we understand our medical limitations. Um, we know, for instance, the difference between a dead person and a live one and what it takes to make a dead person. You know what I mean? Like, we have a very good understanding of how humans interact in the world mm. and how those interactions affect not just the world exterior to humans but humans themselves so we have a great understanding of how driving around in cars and burning fossil fuels pollutes our chemist the chemistry of our air to the point of causing global destruction we understand that and we understand how global destruction affects human beings so i i don't see a gap i I don't see that not understanding consciousness builds in this huge problem of how we ought behave in the world. Mm. When we have all this other rich science and evidence and reason to draw. From. I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm happy we're going here because I, f- I feel like you brought up three points that I was going to try to make um, oh, good. for me. <laughs> so we are building bridges here. Yeah, we're on the same ground. Okay, so the first thing I would say is about um, the idea of scientific progress with, uh, you know, we're speaking into the mics that science helped yeah. create, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Nietzsche sort of traces this evolution of the pursuit of truth. The pursuit of truth, the desire to describe the order in the cosmos was a religious pursuit for, um, I don't know, 1,600, 1,700 years, something like that. Probably uh, longer, yeah. And Probably multi, you know, multi tens of thousands of years. And the, well, I think for, for long periods of time, like most um, religious studies show that, that humans are basically trying to survive and their religions reflect that, right? The world is a harsh place. Sure. And um, so we're trying to survive in it. It is, uh, and, you know, the, 
the sort of religious framings that we get, like let's say a Roman framing of uh, the order of the universe and how the gods and man fit together is sort of that um, man is kind of an accidental byproduct and it's he's the god's plaything and when the gods decide to trample on you, like there's not much you can do about it. So the best, the best you can do is try to either kind of duck your head and stay out of the way or make some sacrifices to Zeus and hope that he's happy with you and, and, sure. and keeps your, or Poseidon and keeps your ship from sinking and so forth. Um, it's it was only, how to explain the world. Let's just call it. I know it wasn't, but how to explain the world 1.0. Okay. Right. Okay. And then it graduated to p- potentially like mm. Judeo Christianity, which would have been 2.0. And then there's a, there's a, this gradual elevation of the pursuit of truth until it becomes such a strong pursuit that it begins to branch off from, uh, like it becomes its own thing, right? It's, it's, Philosophy, it becomes its process. Right. Is that what you're, is that what well, you're I was alluding going to? Towards, I was going towards science. I well, think. I would say yes, philosophy and then science. I mean, philosophy started with the metaphysics and then epistemology mm. came later. And then that's when we really saw the birth of science mm. is what I'm, I so, think, I think we're, we're sure. going in the same direction here mentally. I just want to so plant uh, some flags there. I think the, one of the things that changed in my, my mindset from a, a scientific perspective to a religious perspective is that from a religious perspective, I begin to look at things as this continuous chain mm-hmm. and to um, the scientific perspective is to to isolate them, and so I can say, well, this is science, and this was religion, and religion has now sort of the best parts of religion have become science. But from the perspective that I sit in now, it would be something much more like you, you can't get to science without this religious elevation of the value of truth. Like where we stand in in modern society, it's clear that pursuing truth has high has has excellent results but mm-hmm. 6000 years ago there wouldn't have been any way to to understand that trying to pr- like being obsessed with truth first of all it wouldn't have it doesn't yield results immediately right it takes a long time for those results to accumulate and and secondly like there's so many other ways to gain uh dominion over the world right mm-hmm. like if if you're running around telling people that they should be obsessed with truth and there's another guy running around with a lot of strong men with clubs or spears or guns or whatever mm-hmm. then uh then power has its own currency right like there it takes a, a a long time in a in a society devoted to supporting this this search for truth so i don't see those things as being disconnected sure the the thing okay so the thing that it sounded like you were saying it at first um and i think that's what you were saying uh trying to sort of loop around to is that there wasn't really uh you, you said initially that the seeking of truth was a religious endeavor and that it happened for you know a few thousand years mm. um and i think the point you were trying to make or whatever or that you were making was that 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 is i i don't totally understand i you're saying that because religion started us off or it was was pre-science that it somehow has equal validity or that it somehow i mean if you look at the if you look at a graph of truth you know you've got seven million years of very very little progress and then you've got a few thousand years of you know small upticks as we start farming and you know, 12,000 years ago and we start domesticating animals and 20,000 years ago we started domesticating dogs. So you've got these little ticks, right, of, of more truth, more mm-hmm. benefit, more well-being for people. And then you see the advent 
uh, fueled mostly, I would say, by epistemology and the rejection of metaphysics um, as a way to determine what is. Um, just proclaiming this is what is like the platonic, you know, there must be a world of the forms because of this. And then he supports it with some idea instead of just proclaiming this is what is. We actually had to get down to the hard work of figuring out how do you know that? What, how do we know what is? So mm. epistemology was born and then boom, the scientific explosion. And now what was a flat line essentially is now a straight up and down line vertically. And mm. it's through the advent of science that it basically just shot off like a rocket ship. Mm. So I don't understand why I, I don't understand I don't understand why just because religion came before science how it's somehow just as valid or or so here's what I would say just okay. just real Go quick I would just say thank you religion for giving it a, a stab like thank I, I I understand the mindset like I get what we were trying to accomplish and I think it's 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 in that it's in that spirit for lack of a better word you know the the human drive it's thanks to that that kept us going kept us looking and and until we figured it out mm. until we figured out a way to actually make claims on reality mm. and once we did that once we invented the scientific method and got real strict and 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 tough on what is evidence and what isn't evidence and what counts and what doesn't count um, we ju we just sort of floundered. I just don't understand why is it. You understand what I'm trying to say. I do. Yeah. Um, so the the first point I think I'm trying to make, if I can say it succinctly, is that truth is a religious value. The pursuit of truth in science is an elevation of truth to a high point in the hierarchy of values. And you've made a. a two statements that I want to sort of tie together, or maybe a few statements. One of them is that um, science brings home the bacon, right? It gets things done. Mm, yeah. That's a very, uh, I think Richard Dawkins is a, is a, a sort of well-known proponent of that justification for science, right? Well, you would agree with that, right? That science gets things done? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And uh, then you've gestured towards the idea of progress. And I, I, we don't, like, I understand exactly what you mean when you're talking about that. You're talking about vaccines. You're talking about agriculture. You're talking about cancer research and, and so well, forth. Well, and moral right? progress as well. I mean, if you look at what we've been able to do with science, let's say just biology, right? Understanding that, see, in the past, one of the reasons why people took slaves was is because they didn't think the people they were enslaving were human. Mm. They made a case for the enslavement of other people, either through religious doctrine and doctrine, right? The, the words in uh, take the Bible or take, you know, there's slavery in most of these documents, take the Bible and take what it says. You, you are told by God that you may take slaves of the peop of the heathens around you or mm. of the people around you. Um, if you look at people that weren't necessarily quoting the Bible or using the Bible to support them, they often thought like, for instance, that people in China, they, they heard that language and they're like, that's not human. That's, mm. that's some kind of other thing. Mm. You know what I mean? That yeah. There are quotes from, from journals of explorers saying, we, we heard some strange dialect and we don't think it's human, mm. you know? So we, we didn't know whether or not these people were actually people. And deserve the same rights as everybody else. But because of what we know in science now, there is no way that you can claim, for instance, that women are inferior to men. Mm. The advancements of women's rights, equality throughout human rights, throughout the races, is, is a, 
has has occurred through a battering of scientific knowledge that we've hard fought scientific information mm. that shows us without a doubt that African Americans are no different than Irish Americans, are no different than people from Somalia, that are no different than people from China. I mean, you take these different quote unquote races and you boil it down to what they actually are and what that means, and all you get is Homo sapien. Mm. They're all Homo sapiens. And and so where's where's the where's the actual reason to say, no, that's somebody we can enslave like an oxen, or that's some that's a person we can domesticate. We can't say that anymore. Mm. And we can't say that because of science. So it heightens our morality. Okay. So Sorry, I went on there for a minute. No, that's fine. I, I want to c- circle back to the points you were making. I just wanted to throw that in there because it, it sounds like you're veering off of that, and I don't know why or I don't know how. And I, I want to get back to the... Off of the moral progress or off of the... Well, I, I added that on, but you were talking about progress yes, and progress. scientific progress. So, um, so you also alluded to you know the the pollution of the atmosphere by by cars and the eco- the ecological destruction that's going on yeah and i think what um what what i think of as uh this scientific i think you have two problems one is that when you talk about this line of progress going straight up um you aren't telling the whole story you're not telling the story of the fact that science and the engineering methods and manufacturing which science enabled is also causing many other things, right? But how is it a religious pursuit? How do, how do we have advancements in humanity through electricity and medicine through religious? I mean, if science is to be at fault here and it's not capable of describing all of reality... Mm. Then, and you're saying the religious mindset or religious thinking is a is a superior alternative. Yeah. Although we haven't gotten into exactly why. Right. I, I'm just yeah. So what, you're trying to take science down, right? You're trying to say, look, I'm right. not going to take these other apologist perspectives. Right. I want to say science cannot do the things it's right. claiming to do, and I'm just not getting where where how that's happening. I'm I'm not seeing so the, the problem. What I'm saying is that I'm standing in the scientific perspective and I'm trying to listen to the story that you're telling me. About yeah. the world yeah and i don't see myself in that story and i also don't see the story as being honest i don't see it as being self-consistent so that's when i start to say well like what's missing what what else do i want in order to feel like i do have a picture of myself and uh to get to the idea of moral progress a way of being in the world okay so so you're not seeing that in science that's right and i think that why so not? the point of saying that uh well this is what I'm trying to tell you. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were going on to something else. No, Go this ahead. is what I'm saying is that um, is that to understand that um, a hierarchy of values, there's no way to have an evidence-based justification for that. You don't need an evidence-based, I shouldn't say you don't need. Um, what I mean is that science doesn't require an evidence-based justification for its presupposition that truth should be in the, the top tier of the hierarchy of values. You say science brings home the bacon, but the utility of science is not what draws people to science. They may, that may be like co-equal, but most people who are drawn to science, especially science, um, let's say like popularizers or advocates, are drawn because of the beauty of understanding the natural world. And most people who participate in science love 
love is a strong word, but they want to be a part of the process of understanding the natural world, of adding order to the world. And I don't think that there's any evidence that requires that. It seems to be something which is innate. There's in, no evidence in the to require human. what? Sorry? Uh, there's no evidence to require that they love it? That's right. That's right. That they that they get a sense of uh, beauty and wonder and awe from understanding the natural world and participating in, in helping making the world a better place by understanding it more. Isn't there testimony, the evidence, that that's what... You're saying there doesn't need to... There isn't evidence to require that they love their pursuit of science? There isn't any evidence which they they don't start out by saying what is the evidence that i should find the natural world beautiful they just find the natural world beautiful right and so my point is that these hierarchies of values they they are religious there's no evidence for them i i know that when you hear the word religious you hear something different than what i'm trying to say you hear a lot of um well i shouldn't speak for you what but i, 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 what think I just that, heard was is that it's the same as religion because there's no evidence for it is that what you meant <laughs> i didn't mean to i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but that's what i heard is the that same what you as meant? religion would be strong because a religion is like a whole when you say religion what you mean is a whole collection of tradition scripture um you know divine intervention and things like that, right? So no, I'm, I'm just, I think the point you were trying to make is it doesn't have evidence. So it puts it on some sort of equal footing with religion because many elements of religion do, don't have evidence. I wouldn't say equal footing. What I would say is that a religious view of the world in which you have a hierarchy of value a priori is necessary to engage the world for everyone, even for scientists, because you have to believe that the pursuit of truth is worthwhile and and you often have all these other things tied in with it like your your uh, your appreciation of the order and the beauty and the wonder and all that so okay so that's an interesting me, idea I, I, before i before we uh, uh, dissect that a little bit more i do want to finish this idea Please. of uh, the two problems i think you have with the notion of uh, scientific progress the one is that you haven't told the whole story right you've told you've taken metrics which isolate all these positive improvements to the world, um, but you've left out all of these negative externalities, which science has made possible. And I think the worst of those is the possibility of the destruction of all human life on earth through nuclear annihilation, which was only made possible through science and was never a possibility through religious wars beforehand. But I think that problem is actually small compared to the second problem, which is that and we haven't gone over your definition of knowledge yet, but in your definition of knowledge, the story of scientific progress is just an anecdote. It's not evidence. It's not knowledge. Okay. I'm what you can talk about is... You I'm not can sure talk I agree with that, but okay. I don't know what... Well, that's, I mean, that's where I'm headed is that you have metrics. You can say we can now... We know we've reduced child mortality, blah, 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 right? All these wonderful things which are now happening because sure. of science. Sure. But the story that that's progress, that's not knowledge. That's a story. It's an anecdote. It's not evidence of anything. No, the evidence is the lowered birth mortal, infant mortality rate. But you don't care about that purely as a metric. I, right? I don't. Why, why don't I care about that? I want infants to not die. But that's I want not, them to live. That's not in the metric. The metric is, is that a lowered infant mortality rate, mm -hmm. meaning more infants live and less die. That's right. That's all that that means. 
But, but I want that. that I, li- I like that. But that's not in the data. The fact that you want it and like it is external to the data. It's a value that you're bringing to the data. Well, right. But I value humanity and human life and human flourishing. I, I'm a moral person. I'm not a morally insufficient person or I'm not a morally abnormal person. I'm not a psychopath, for instance. I hope that I can make this point clearly and, and, and directly, but that's exactly my point. Is, and I'm glad that you're all those things. Yeah. But those things are not... Um, they're not part of the data. They're values that you bring to the data. Right. So okay. this is what I'm saying, that the, the hierarchy of value mm-hmm. comes before the data, causes you to act in a certain way, and then allows you to tell a story with the data. Sure. But all that hierarchy of value, that's in your consciousness. Sure. So this is why I'm saying that it's so important to have a model of the human person and how the human person should act because that determines how we interpret the data. Science gives us the data and then our value system allows us to interpret the data. Like for example, with regard to slavery, um, there was no, there was no society. Well, there may have been some, but most of the large societies that we know of, I would, I would venture to say all, um, they all had slavery. Slavery was understood to be a part of the human condition. When you, when when your when your tribe is weak and you get conquered, you get taken as slaves, and that's your lot in life. I mean, like the, I love stoicism. I think it's a wonderful philosophy with a lot of practical. Yeah, um, I do too. Techniques for for, for being in the world. Yeah, but. Stoicism doesn't take any issue with the condition of slavery. Who's the, is it Epictetus who was the slave? I believe so, yeah. And he talks about, um, I feel that's wrong for some reason, but anyway, I'm embarrassing my, no, my, no, my Stoic fine. friends that's now. No, no, um, That there's this Stoic slave who, uh, who, I think he was a contemporary with Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, and they're both Stoics, right? So they share this worldview, but neither of them had any essential problem with the condition of slavery. The The worldview was when you're a slave, be a good slave. Like, don't let these external conditions, right? And so there's eventually this well, shift. Well, this was pre-epistemology, though, too. Mm. Stoicism is a pre-epistemological mindset. It, so I would say when you're talking about what is human. If memory serves. I think I think that's how it goes. I mean, the not to say that that invalidates your point, but I'm not sure how. Uh, but, but go ahead. Well, my point is that when you talk about how science gives us the data to know that Chinese people and African people are human, mm-hmm. what I would say is that first of all, we've seen um, the pursuit of science, like phrenology and eugenics things that we look back on and we say, well, that wasn't science, right? But the, the methodology and the mindset at the time that they were pursuing it, there were lots of people who believed that they were doing science, which showed conclusively that XYZ people were not human. Now, I'm not saying that science is fault. What I'm saying is that the way that we interpret data that isn't in the data. So no, you're, you're drawing a distinction between values and scientific data. That's right. And that makes sense. So if we had a if we had a modern worldview in which slavery was acceptable, then you brought up how Africans and Chinese people are not different from white people. But let's say that we still considered. Oh, you didn't say white people, but I'm saying it right. Um, no, I was just saying that we are all equal, so, and we can't argue anything other because of the scientific advancements. And I'm a white person, so when I say other people, I'm using other examples. <laughs> yeah. So let's say of people that aren't like me. Let's say that we lived in a time when slavery was still considered acceptable. We could absolutely interpret the genetic data to show that 
of the what is it 99 point is it five nines that we have in common that all people have in common i don't know i don't know what the nines are um, yeah i maybe think it's, it's pretty close to that maybe it's three nines whatever it is mm-hmm. it's most uh of the dna but that 0.1 percent if we had a racist mindset a racist worldview still active in the world mm-hmm. that's where people would go and in fact that is where people who want to talk about dna based differences in iq do go to justify the racism you see what i'm saying there now i understand your point uh i don't see how well i understand your point i I do see that there seems to be sort of a muddy line between evidence and values Mm. um i'm not gonna deny that human beings can have immoral value systems or that they can try to use science to prop up their immoral value systems. Mm. I don't see how the I don't see how this value of truth is somehow more prevalent in religion and not science mm. or how science doesn't also show that discovering truth is 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 the whole point. Mm. I mean, we're not we're not as far as I can tell, we're not doing science just as, you know, intellectual masturbatory practices or whatever. We're doing it to discover what reality is, what mm. the truth is, and then how we can interact with that reality in order to do things like make microphones in the Internet and make our lives better or mm. understand things better or potentially predict, let's say, uh, you know, the next extinction, mm. however that might occur, something like that. I don't see this, this, this problem with science and truth as a value, and it's, I don't see the problem between values and science either. I see values as being something that people have. You, you for instance, may value something above the way I value it. Maybe Mm. we have a different order in our values. Um, But whether or not that value should be in our list at all is generally answered in a scientific way. Mm. I mean, the reason why, at least in in my experience, I I don't know how else to inform our values. Now, some values have have been evolved into us, right? I mean, there were people probably in much greater numbers in the past that thought that murdering other people for no reason at all or for selfish reasons was a good idea. Mm. Um, And they probably died. They probably died out. People didn't want to marry them. They didn't want to have children with them or whatever. And they, they died out because the people that wanted to help everybody and let a group of people flourish like we see today we see groups of people flourishing the loners that were looking to kill off other people probably were killed off or weren't successful Mm. at breeding over the long history of millions of years and we still have outliers we still have people that aren't in the in the program we have psychopaths and sociopaths and people that don't seem to have this immoral structure that's in line with human flourishing but i think we could probably agree that the vast majority of people are on board generally speaking Mm. generally speaking we're trying to flourish as human beings Mm. and that evolved into us the people that didn't understand that or didn't jive with that are slowly being you know weeded out of the system Mm. um nietzsche talks about that in uh i think it's i think it's the genealogy of morals where he talks about how in europe 
when civilization is forming, there's this brutal culling of, to use a, a sort of slur of a word, lowlifes, right? You stole something, you're executed. You rape someone, you're executed, right? Like this, this brutal sort of, um, I mean, we, uh, it would look brutal to us now because we have a much different view of what the human is and how to address criminal justice and so forth. But in a harder time with, with fewer resources and, uh, and people trying to establish a civilization, they had no patience. And they were like, we're trying to, to do a, you know, a live together project here. You guys have to go. And I don't, I mean, I think I'm, my thinking about sort of, uh, and you didn't make this assertion, but I'm, I'm sort of reading into what you're saying. It's like, okay. there's kind of a genetic component to that, like the murderousness, the psychopathicness, like we're sort of weeding that out of the human DNA, or are you just suggesting that those patterns of, uh, of thought and, and culture and behavior are being weeded out? No, I think, I think what we, what we know about psychopaths and sociopaths and people that are morally abnormal is that they, there's a genetic component mm. and there's also a, uh, there's a, a nurture component mm, that mm. there's a there's a, something happened to them often there's okay. oftentimes a head injury for instance or there was often massive amounts of abuse early in their lives mm. or they were brought up in a war-torn area where there was no there was no stability and you know people were being blown up around them and stuff like that so they okay. had a, a significant amount of trauma early enough in life that it affected the way they behave mm. um now I, which seems like kind of a brutal reason to execute somebody right but again, if you don't have the resources to deal with them and the... Well, I don't think they the, thought about that back then. Right, right. They didn't know about psychology the way we do now. Okay. So... But I get your point. I, I mean... I'm moving away from like a DNA-based uh, understanding of people's behavior because I, from what I'm learning about um, statistics and the way that people do these analyses, that a lot of the people doing them seem to be kind of statistically illiterate and they're basically using like the first click method in the menu of statistical analysis and their and their <laughs> their analysis software um, and and a lot of them well I'm not a statistician I would love to learn more about this but I'm sort of trusting some people that I'm reading that that these the DNA analyses are a lot like the fMRI studies they've been massively overblown in their predictive significance but either way those people were getting culled out of civilization over a long period of time right but then you also have uh, a Napoleon or a Julius Caesar or a Mao right Julius Caesar is that doesn't of, invalidate the existence of psychopaths they still exist that's right but yes that's right and it's it's like I'm not trying to invalidate the existence of them I'm just saying that as morally normal people flourishing in a world mm, mm, we fair. have an advantage over morally abnormal people that are not consistent with human flourishing so i think and i think that advantage is showing i think i think we're seeing less and less of this apish behavior of our past mm. and more and more of a refined moral uh, sort of view or position in the world. We are noticing how to navigate through a world and through experience in a moral way that takes into account not just ourselves. We're not Randian. <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? 
libertarian, it's me above oh, all. Oh, sure, sure. I can, you know, I can actually be immoral to myself and I'm the pay dirt, you know, the individual and not just the individual, but me, I, I'm the, I'm the moral pay dirt. Mm. We're actually able to look at others and, and use our empathy and, and recognize that you can make a sacrifice to help other people. You can also make a sacrifice to help yourself. I mean, we're not locked into these apish, selfish tendencies anymore. Mm. We have evolved out of that in a, in a way that other apes haven't in a lot of, in, in a lot of cases. Mm. Chimpanzees come to mind. but So I want to respond to that line of thinking, and I, I mostly agree with you, but I want to respond to it, but I'm, I also want to make sure that if you're following up on a follow-up on a follow-up, are we getting off... Uh, am, am I answering the questions that you're... I mean, I think we're, we're kind of doing a mind walk right now. We're kind of going down the whatever path we get to. I, I Maybe you're right. Maybe we should circle back. So No, I just want to make sure that you're satisfied, because if I respond to that, then we'll spend another half no, hour... No, no, I understand. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I, I think... I think, okay, so let's hit pay dirt with your claim. Okay. Let's, let's drive it home. Go for it. You came here today to tell me that you are going to deny science, reason, and evidence as tools capable of describing all of reality. Mm. And the claim you've made is that we haven't described all of consciousness yet. And so that is evidence that that claim is correct. And that there's some problem with science because the thing that does science is consciousness. Mm. And if we can't describe consciousness, then we are somehow being led astray scientifically. It's not being led astray. It's that I'm trying to gesture towards the, um, the fact that science isn't generating so much of what it means to be human. Okay. So how can we use science to help us create a worldview which contains ourselves which is i think crucial and this is a, this is the point of a lot of the zombie material is that because the scientific worldview doesn't have any room for the subjective for the conscious experience for the interiority for what we we consider human from our first person perspective mm -hmm. that it's it's alienating as a worldview. It's telling us this is what the world is, and that picture doesn't have us in it. So let's take an example, because I, I don't. I want to try to explain this as as richly as possible. Mm. So, do you have an example of this? Because I well, can I, think of a few that I would throw at you, but I don't know if you would agree that they're well, valid think, examples. I think you're. You're, I feel like you're helping me do the work here when you say that we have these hierarchies of values internally and out of those hierarchies of values, we act. Well, how does science help us there? Science helps us measure the result of the action in the world, right? Mm -hmm. We can collect data, <clears throat> but science is not involved in the production and ordering of those hierarchies of values. Let me give you a, a very, um, let's say... Yeah, give me an example. I'll give I, you a, I like, I like, let's go straight to the hard example. Let's get right? something we can work with. Yeah. So you brought this up in one of your emails about uh, the priest raping a child. Okay. Right? Okay. This is a very difficult subject in general, and I don't want to trivialize it at all. No, no. Let's I think it, it, because I think it's, it's a hard case, it'll be useful, it's instructive. Yeah. yeah. So when we talk about a hierarchy of value... And we talk about scientifically testing them. In the method of scientific inquiry, we use evidence and then pattern match into, um, into consciousness, whatever that means, and out comes some hypothesis, some explanation that, that, that puts together the data. And then we use reason to figure out if that 
you know that that pattern makes sense or if it was just nonsense right like okay. and we use other people to help us do that validation yeah we have to but, have independent verification but all of that is I would say none of that is applicable to the case of the priest raping the child. We're not interested in evidence or reason. I shouldn't say we're not interested in. We don't need evidence or reason to tell us that that's evil. Why not? What do we need? Our interiority tells that tells us that that's evil. How does it do that? Well, I would say this is what we call in... I don't want to jump into specific Christian language yet, but what I would say is that that's sort of fundamental. Like your experience tells you that that's evil. But I've never never been raped. So I I don't have an experience that tells me that that's evil and I've never raped. Mm. So I have no, no way into that, into that experience. I have not raped nor have I ever been raped. So are you saying that without that experience, you can't actually judge whether that action is good or evil? You said our experience. Mm. So I'm just saying, I, I'm saying I haven't been, uh, I don't have that experience. So how am perfect. I to know that? How are we to know? Because I don't have that experience. And you said it's our experience that tells us that. Well, so, please elaborate because I don't. So what I mean is that the knowledge that it's evil arises in us. We can put words onto how that happens. We could say empathy. We could say, I can imagine if that was me, how would I feel, right? I can use words, mm-hmm. but in my, in my own experience, and I think in many other people's experience who have neither raped nor been raped, those words and logical constructions come after the fact. What comes first is the knowledge that that abuse is evil. How, how do you have knowledge of that? What informs that knowledge that that's evil? I don't think this is what I'm saying, that I don't think that we need anything to inform that. So you're just saying it's evil. Full stop. Just is. Yes. Okay. How is that? How you don't have any reason behind that? You're just well, saying it is? No, you're saying behind. But this is my whole point about the the hierarchy of values is that that underlies reason. So we find reasons to validate our, um, what arises for us from our interiority, from our knowledge of good and evil. And those reasons help us communicate with each other. But the knowledge is not a knowledge of reason. It's a knowledge of perspective, of intuition, of, of something else. I mean, I'm putting labels on that, right? But my, what I'm gesturing at is that, that you could say it's a feeling, right? It's not knowledge in the category. This is my point, that it's not knowledge in the category that you're speaking of, that it requires reason and evidence to substantiate it. Well, then how are you to differentiate it from another person mm. who believes that it's okay to rape a child, who, the sadist? Mm. Well, I think you're, you've... Hold on. Let me just put a stamp on this. I want to make sure this is clear. So Please. you're saying child rape is bad, full stop, and I don't need to say anything else. I don't need to support it with any other thing. I can just say because it arises in mm. me that child rape is bad, full, or is evil, full stop. Mm. And what if I it arises in me? I'm just going to take the counter side of this. What if it arises in me or arises, let's just say, in the, in the sadist, because I'm not a sadist. Sure, sure. It seems to arise in the sadist that it's fine to rape children, full mm. stop. So how do you now differentiate? How do you know which one is actually evil and which one isn't? Well, I'm going to give the hard answer first, which is to say this is the task of our of our entire lives is to bring ourselves more into alignment with what's good and evil. 
Well, we so, haven't even figured out which one is good and evil yet. That's right. We but I'm saying like as individuals. a as a frame, right? Yeah. That that is that is our task. Sure. And that as a society, like it seems abhorrent to say this, but it's true. This is the way it works is that we get together and what everyone agrees on or what most people agree on is how the moral compass for that society is set. Okay. So if you so, look at ancient Greece, right? So you're saying you see, if enough people say child rape is correct, then it is. Like in ancient Greece. So yeah. for them, they did not see pederasty as an evil. Sure. But for us, we absolutely see pederasty as an evil and we see it as moral progress that we no longer practice that. Right? Okay. So we have now an example of a whole society that agrees with the position I took and probably we have a whole society that agrees with the position you took. How do we know which one's right? Well, I would say that first of all, we can be wrong, right? Because there were societies that arose, which made what we would think of as backward moral progress. But, but hold, hold on. I, I don't want to get off track here. Yeah. yeah. We just said, yeah. we just agreed that it is part of uh, uh, the human experience and sort of you, you had, you indicated that it's part of what we ought to do is to, to figure out this question. Yes. Is it right or is it good or evil to rape children? Right. So let's get down to it. How do we know? You, you pointed out perfectly. It is our duty to figure this out. Let's figure it out right now. Okay. So how do we know? Do you agree? Let's let's start off with one. Let's see if we can start off on a, sure. a, a positive sure. agreement. Do you agree that me saying you've said child rape is evil full stop? That's an equal statement to me saying child rape is good, full stop. Do I think that those are equivalent statements? Do you think they're equal, equally backed up? Do you think they're equally valid as stated? Oh, because they both arise out of experience? No, because you've said it doesn't matter what your experience is. It's, it's, it's child rape well, is evil, full stop. That's all that needs to say that has arisen in me. Right. And I'm saying there's a human being out there, a sadist, who believes child rape is good, full right. stop. That right. arose in him. Right. How do you tell the difference? Well, How do you know which one is correct? Right. So, first of all, you're using the word experience in two different ways. You're I didn't using, use the word experience, but go ahead. You, you said that I haven't experienced child rape, but when I said in your experience, what I mean is that that sense of, of good and evil that arises in you is part of your experience. You're experiencing sure. an orientation toward... My experience is that of somebody who does not rape children. No, what I mean is you're experiencing a, a negative orientation toward child rape. You're experiencing a negative judgment within you. It's not like outside of you. It's not data, right? There's not, there's not a, a, a ball of, um, of judgment towards child rape. It's, it's within you. It's a feeling that you have that that's wrong. That's part of your experience. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm a morally normal person. But in the, in the sense of the, the person, you're saying you can just say child rape is immoral, mm. full stop. And you're saying nothing else needs to be said. No, I'm saying... And I'm saying what's to differentiate... If that's, if that's how you decide what's moral, what's to say that somebody that says child rape is good, mm. full stop, is wrong? How, mm. do, how do you know that, that what you're saying is moral? Mm. Even though I happen to agree with your, sure. with your outcome, right. how did you get there? I'm with you. How are we to get there? I'm with you. So what we would say from a religious perspective is, and this is part of the reason that I went back to a religious perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm moving here now because I don't see a way to steal, to stay away from it. That's okay. Is that the nature of good and evil is built into the universe. The universe comes with morality, you know, 
let's say Christians would say that the nature of God determines good and evil. But I don't need to use God to say that. I could say in a sort of uh, stoic way, these virtues are good and they're always good. But you're still just making a proclamation. That's right. How do I know right. that they're good? Yeah. You're, you're doing metaphysics. Mm-hmm. You're saying what is. Mm-hmm. How do you know what is? I'm doing epistemology. Sure. How am I to know the difference between your metaphysics and somebody else's metaphysics who says child rape is good? Okay. And I don't know, first of all, where you're getting your information about what God thinks. Mm. We can go into that maybe later. Sure. But let's stick to this for yep. yep. Yeah. So how do I know? Well, you don't. What do you mean I don't? Well, in your epistemology, you don't know. No, in your epistemology, I don't know. You've stated that it's it's by fiat, essentially. Right. You're saying I said it, therefore it is. That's what you're hearing. What I'm saying is okay. that my being is, uh, I'm trying to bring my being into alignment with the nature of reality. That's where I determine what's good and what's evil. In the, yeah, I think that's the the shortest way I can say it. That's the nature of my being, my relationship with God or my connection to reality is helping me determine what's good and what's evil. Okay. So what is it? So you have a connection with reality Mm. and that helps you determine what's good and what's Mm. evil. So you've determined that child rape is evil based on a connection with reality. Mm. So just tell me one of those connections. What's what's a thing that you're connecting to? Re- what is one of those? Oh, I see what you mean. Um, I would say in this case, it's probably a sense of, well, it's a sense of empathy. It's a sense of uh, disgust and horror. It's a sense of, it's, okay. it's different emotions, right? Okay. Those, those so, things. But I'm putting labels on those as they arise. But the point is not the labels. The point is that um, I, I know at a level which is doesn't begin with reason and evidence. Well, hold on. Let's okay. let's let's explore that for okay. a second. So you said empathy was one of the reasons or it was one of the connections mm. to, you said connections. You have a connection with reality. You've brought yourself in better alignment with reality. And I asked what was one of those connections and you said empathy. Mm. So let's explore that. Okay. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by empathy? By empathy I mean that um, there have been times in my life when I've been powerless against mm-hmm. an assailant mm-hmm. or against someone who exercised their will on me without my consent. Mm-hmm. Right? And so even having not been raped, I can see in that experience of rape that those there's commonalities there. Right? So you felt fear, maybe. You felt pain, maybe. Injustice. You felt injustice. Sure. Okay. Well, fear, pain... These are evidences. Mm. These are evidences in the world. Mm. You can build a testimony. You can say somebody could could dominate you against your will, as you put it, and and they could cause pain. Mm. That pain can be measured. It can be evidenced with a doctor. I mm. could measure the bruises on your body. Mm. I could I could I could, you know, assess the broken bones. I could set and fix those bones. I could take your testimony about the fear that you felt. That's another evidence point. One in a moral position like the one we're making, I mm. think is very key. Okay. In, an, in, in a ranking of evidence scientifically, I would put personal experience near the bottom. Mm. If we're ranking whether something is moral, you have to sort of invert that and put personal experience near the top and mm. a personal account of what actually happened. Okay. These are evidences in the world. You're a human being, not completely in solitude of everybody else. I can ask you the same question as this other person, as this other person. We can all independently verify that your arm's broken, Mm. that you felt this much pain, as said by you, right? It was more 
painful than my appendectomy. It was less painful than the time I hit my head on the cement, blah, mm. blah, right? Or on a scale of one to 10, it was an eight, right? Okay. These are all evidences. These are all data points mm. that show that your empathy is tied now to reality and evidence because where else is where else is reality taking place mm. that's what i so, would put to you uh, yeah so i think that's great um so i'm going to try to make the case that you are either referencing subjective states which cannot be used as evidence your broken bone is not a subjective state or you're making uh, a morally abhorrent argument. Either one of those, uh, either one of those conclusions can come out of here. So well, hold on. So, go ahead. Let me let me address that. Your broken arm is not a subjective state. Okay. And your your uh, measurement of pain is subjective in the sense that it's how you felt it. For instance, I might break my arm and, mm. and say it's a two, mm. right? But I have a higher pain tolerance. But you still would agree that it happened against your will, so there was an infraction on your personal body, on mm. yourself, right? And you would still agree that it was, in fact, painful, that it caused suffering. That's not subjective. Mm. That's objectively verifiable by multiple people. Mm. So it's falsifiable. It's verifiable by any amount of doctors that might talk to you. And by the way, we have a broken arm to show mm. this was the damage caused during this infraction. So... That's, it's not subjective. There is a subjective element to, I concede that, and there's nothing wrong with having a subjective element to a moral claim. When we're assessing whether or not something immoral has happened, we do have to ask the subject, is this something that you consider a moral infraction? Is this something you didn't want to have happen to you? Okay. Would you agree? No. No? Okay. I don't. Interesting. So let's dig into that a little bit more. So let's say that uh, that you have an example. You have a, a six-year-old who was raped by a priest, right? Sure. There's no broken bones. There's okay. no bruises. Okay. Okay. So now we're talking about and so lovingly raped. Well, gently raped. A grown man doesn't need to break a child's bones in order to rape him. No, but yeah. I'm just saying gently. Sorry, I, I was being a little bit hyperbolic. But so a child was raped in such a way that we couldn't tell that the child was raped. No. Let's say that the child, uh, you know, bears some physical uh, damage. Okay. So right? we have some, some evidence now. You're back in evidence. So you're yeah. back in my example. Mm. You're now agreeing with me that uh, there's evidence that there was a rape. Okay. Right. But now you're trying to talk about evidence that the rape was bad. Right. And I think that the way that you're making this argument leads to a morally abhorrent conclusion. What so, is that? I'll get there. So you said that, um, that the evidence is verifiable by multiple people. Correct. But only one person was raped. So? So how can multiple people verify his pain? Multiple people can ask him if he was raped. Multiple people can ask him how much it hurt. And multiple people can verify whatever evidence you just allowed for this mm. so that we can assess he was raped. So mm. let's say some sort of cut or a tear, sure. perhaps. Sure. Not to be too graphic. I don't want sure. to but, be too graphic. But multiple well, people can say, yep, that's a tear. Yes. Multiple people can say, yep, that's blood. So I'm not going to dispute at all that he was raped. I'm not going to dispute that there's any, uh, let's say it was on video, right? There's no disputing that the child was raped. That's not my point. Okay. So multiple people asking the child to report his own internal subjective state is not evidence. It's just evidence of what the child told them. It's evidence if you're trying to determine the morality of the, of the event. I mean, it's, it's, if, if the child were to say, and the, 
it, it doesn't work as well with a child because we we assume that child children are not intellectually normal yet. They're okay. not so they're not developed let, enough. Let's leave the child out of it then. Let's skip to a grown man. It was a grown man who was, was raped, raped, right? Yeah, okay. He's fully developed. The grown man may can, say, "No, no, this is cool. This is what I wanted to have happen." No, let's say that he let's say that he says that it isn't what he wanted to have happened. Well, then we okay. Then now we know it's a rape. But he's report. That's true. We do know it was a rape. But right. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the morality of the rape. It, it well, rape is immoral because it's somebody imposing their will onto somebody else who doesn't want it. In order to determine whether or not it's moral, we have to determine if the act was in fact against that person's will or in accordance with their wish. But you just defined what something immoral is and then showed how this was immoral. I'm saying we need to establish the evidence that it's immoral. That is the evidence that it's immoral. The definition of being immoral. Why wouldn't we take into account the subject's account of the occurrence to we, determine whether or not it was moral? We can, but we're not talking about... What we're talking about is establishing an evidence reason-based conclusion that it was immoral. That is evidence-based and reason-based. That it was immoral. But the way that you showed that it was immoral was by defining immorality in a certain way. Okay. So what I'm saying is, well, let's say that this guy... How are you doing it then? Let's say that, well, what I'm doing here is critiquing the science and evidence-based analysis of this particular moral act. Okay. Okay, so... He reports on his subjective experience, but we don't admit that as evidence in the scientific paradigm. Why not? Evidence is externally reproducible and verifiable. Yeah. And measurable. Sure. So we couldn't then take the accounts of other people that were raped and, and said that they didn't want it as other examples of rape to draw from? But each of those are just other people reporting on their own interiority. But this is a, this is a moral issue we're trying to solve. It is, it is grounded in people. So we can't make moral decisions without people, without people telling us we do or don't want these actions to happen to us. The lowest common denominator of whether an immoral act has occurred is to ask the person, you know, do you want to be raped? I, no, I don't. Well, then that was an immoral thing because that person took, you know, the rapist took over your body against mm. your wishes, mm. right? And you have rights to bodily autonomy. But I would, well, I want to say two things. One is that I would suggest it's not the compliance of the victim that makes it an immoral act, right? If somebody, like you said, if the, if the person reports that they wanted to be raped, that doesn't make the rape moral, right? Okay. The rape is immoral. That's how we consider morality. Now, if we're talking, like, this is another sort of definitional game. If we're well, talking does... about some sort of sexual game that these two prearranged and the guy pretends to break in and blah, 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 that's not really rape in the context that we're talking about, right? Well, it's not really rape if the guy says, I wanted it to happen either. So we've no. not defined it as not rape. <laughs> if someone... Uh, broke into my house and raped me and I enjoyed it, that wouldn't make it less rapey, right? It's still rape and that person should still be punished for their actions. The fact that I enjoyed it doesn't make it... You may like, have a case for that, but I don't know that anything immoral has happened. You're just talking about punishment and crime, right? We, we define breaking and entering and raping as a crime. But if the person who was broken into entered and then raped was like, no, I was totally cool with that. Like, that was hot. I dug it. 
no immoral actions happen because that person hasn't been violated. See, I would say that that's an uh, that's an abhorrent moral position because then the the morality of an act is determined afterward by the consequences rather than by the nature of the act. Morality is consequential by nature. Mm, that's it's, a position. That's a claim, right? Well, you're going to so, have if you're going to say, okay, hold on. Let's if you're going to say that your morality and and the reason why you're calling this this example immoral is because of your empathy with that person, then how are you empathizing with them if you're not taking into account their 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 experience. Mm. Let's say that uh, that this person. Well, I mean, it's it, we can play what if moral games here all day, but no, it's no, very. No, that's not a what if moral game. You said empathy is how you're determining that this was an immoral act. You're saying rape is immoral, and I and you said it would align you with reality. Right. And empathy was one of those connections for mm. how you aligned yourself with reality. Mm. How are you going to empathize if you cannot take into account the actual person that was raped and determine from right. what they tell you whether or not they were raped. Here's How the, are you using empathy in that way? Here's the what if game that I'm making reference to is, let's say that this person uh, was raped by uh, their priest for a long period of time when they were young and they came to become psychologically aligned with it and they enjoy it. So now this person breaks into their house and rapes them. They enjoy it, but it sets them off on a, uh, you know, a triggering. If you uh, don't want to play what if games, that sounds a lot like you're establishing a what if game. That's exactly my point. That's why I said we shouldn't play what if games with I'm this not. all day. You are. I'm saying. So how I'm saying are you I can always empathy. As I can your... always construct a situation in which I need to use empathy in order to understand that that act was in fact immoral, right? So I gave you a very limited context before. This guy liked it, but now I give you a bigger context. It turns out now in this context, the consequences seem immoral again, right? So what the values-based approach to, um, to morality does is it says, well, the entirety of creation is the context. And in that context, rape is always bad. Does that make sense? I understand you don't agree with that, but that's sort of the position that I'm taking. No, I, I mean, from what I understand of what the word rape means, it is always immoral. It's always bad. Okay. You're saying that you have aligned, you're saying rape is bad full stop. Mm. And one of the reasons why you say it's bad is because of empathy. Mm. And then you're saying we can't take into account the person that was raped. So how are you no, using No, no, that's empathy? not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can't take it into account because you don't admit subjective experience as evidence. I was, no, I'm sorry, the, the, you've turned this around. I was admitting subjective experience, personal testimony into evidence. Mm, but if I say that three billion people have personal experiences of connection with God, what are you going to do with that report of subjective experience? Well, I would say that they believe that they have experience with God, but mm. they can't demonstrate that they have experience with God. Mm. In the case of the rape victim, we can demonstrate. You even said we had video footage. There's no question that this person was sexually violated. But the only question is, is how are you using empathy if you're not going to take into account their... We could play back this, and you said we cannot use their their testimony. I was advocating for the testimony of the victim. That was my position. But that's not in a scientific epistemology of what evidence is. I have a scientific epistemology and I'm telling you it is. In 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 matters of morality. Mm -hmm. So there's a new kind of knowledge when it comes to morality. No, 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 no. I said in matter in 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 a typical scientific pyramid where you're saying this is the least informative evidence and this is the most, mm. you know, that personal testimony is the least. It is a place 
place to start at best. Hmm. But when you're talking about moral issues and moral dilemma, the correct position for personal testimony is much higher to the top. It may not be the top, but it's much closer to the top because we're talking about a, a, a moral issue here. We have to take into account the subject of the moral infraction. Mm. Whoever was raped, in other words, needs to be consulted to determine whether or not they were in fact raped. Mm. What justifies that change in position? What because makes... of the morality of the issue. What... We're now talking about humans and human experience and mm. human suffering and human flourishing. Mm. So we cannot take out the human. In, in like your typical uh, scientific uh, inquiry, we're, we're talking about how, why does the planets, why do the planets orbit in the way they do? And we okay. don't need humans, you know, best guess. What we need is data and we need to falsify that data. Mm. So if one guy says it's because God said so, and another guy says, I think it's because of what Newton had in mind, and another guy says it's probably more like what Einstein said, we have to test those different things. What they actually say it was, whether this guy says it was God or this guy says it was Newton, is way less important than what the tests actually ferret mm. out of the data. So we can falsify all those claims. We have no way to falsify the God claim, and we throw it out because of that. But what my point is with regard to, well, I think you're making my point for me, which is that when we start talking about morality, you say, but this is about morality. But you haven't presented any evidence that we should treat morality as a subject of knowledge that's any different. You've just asserted that we should. What do you mean? I don't understand. I'm sorry. I, I said morality is a subject of knowledge that we need to be that we need to treat differently than, let's say, physics, mm. because it involves the fl the flourishing or the pain and suffering of human beings. Mm. It's different because the subject of the immoral thing. So if you're going to ask a slave whether or not they want to be a slave, mm. you need to address that before you make any moral claim. Mm. Right? I mean, does the slave want to be a slave? If it does, if the slave wants to be a slave, then mm. we don't have a huge, you know, we don't necessarily have a basis in that instance to say, well, we need to stop this from happening. Mm. Right? We have to take into a subject because we're talking about human beings. We're mm. talking about the flourishing or the suffering of human beings. So we have to ask those humans, are you flourishing or suffering? Don't we? Well, I don't understand how you are making that leap. It just sounds like you're making a bunch of assertions of what, like, this is what knowledge is over here with regard to science. But when it comes to human beings, knowledge is different and morality is in a different realm. I don't understand. You're saying the same, though, aren't you? Aren't of you saying that science is different than morality? Yes. Yeah, I'm saying I'm agreeing with you. But that's I'm built into in, my worldview. It's built into my worldview. I don't understand why it's built into your worldview. Like, where is the evidence? I that just described why. Because morality deals with human suffering and flourishing. And so in order to determine if humans are suffering or flourishing, to some degree, we have to ask mm -hmm. them. We have to ask those humans, are you suffering or flourishing? I hear what you're saying, but I'm asking you... Where's the evidence for that? It just sounds like you're making claims. Where's the evidence for what? For the claims that you just made. That we have to ask people whether or not they are suffering or flourishing? Yes. How else are we to determine whether people are suffering or flourishing? 
I don't need to answer that question. The scientific perspective needs to answer that question. Because it's a, the reason we ask people is because it has to do with human suffering and flourishing. So we have to, we have to go to the source and determine whether or not they, they see it as suffering or flourishing. I understand the circular argument that you're making, but I'm asking you for the evidence to support that argument. Let me say it in an analogy. Okay. If you want to determine how the planets work, you have to quote unquote ask the planets okay right you have to you have to look at how they act you have to figure out what the evidence is that determines how they how they orbit i don't have to ask the planets anything well i, can, I put I that can, in quotes but i that, said you but, have to ask you but, have to draw that data out of planets you have of, to you have to address yes, planets yes. and planetary movement mm. if i want to know more about human beings i have to look at human beings and i have to address mm. human beings but i think that the scientific distinction between looking at human beings and asking human beings crosses the gap between externable observable data and interior subjective data um I think there is a subjective element that we can't escape, especially when we talk about morality, because of the anomalies we see, mm. because of the people that perhaps like pain mm. and so on. Mm. But would you would you agree that if enough pain is inflicted, somebody would die? We don't we're not totally at the whim of their subjective experience. If they're whipped long enough, they'll die. They may like the first 10 lashes, but after that, there's a, there's a, you know, they say hippopotamus. Okay, game over. That's my safe word. I need mm. to rest. I need to go recover, right? Okay. I mean, we don't go to this extreme of like taking them to their word. If, if they were whipped to death, even if it was a good deal for them, the first 10 lashes, we would still have warrant to determine if this was an immoral act, mm. if this was murder. So I think Does that, that make sense? Well, it makes it makes as much sense as it can within an evidence-based worldview. But I think that's where I break from the evidence-based worldview is that, um, like, let's put it this way. You've said that this arising in me of a feeling that human rape is bad. Uh, well, maybe all rape is bad. I don't know. But particularly human rape, we judge as bad, right? That feeling is not the basis that, that interior feeling that I have, the justification for that is there's nothing there. It comes out of whatever and um, therefore I can't properly weigh it against someone who has the opposite feeling, right? But eventually, as we're digging down, go ahead. Oh, well, it seemed to me initially when you proposed this example that that's what you were saying. And then you said, no, 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 I am, my moral position is such that I am aligning myself with reality. Mm. And then I said, how are you doing that? And you said, one of the examples was empathy. Mm. And that's how we okay. went down the road of empathy. Okay. And when you were talking about empathy, it was empathy of the kinds of things that one might experience when they're being raped, mm. like pain, mm. like suffering. Like the personal account later, the, the trauma of mm. the event, the post-trauma of the event, the actual physical uh, pain and suffering. The broken arm was my example, mm. or the tear in the skin, or the blood, or the whatever. Mm. Measurable, evidential things that we can point to as pain and suffering. But again, I would say those are not... Those are just data points. The evidence that you're gesturing towards is the internal subjective state of feeling pain, right? The... The blood and the tearing, like, 
that's not evidence of pain. The person's self-report of pain is the evidence of pain. The, the other things can come in later as forensic evidence that the rape actually took place in a court of law or something like that. But don't right? we but, universally feel pain? I mean, some people say they enjoy pain, right? There are people that are like, I want to be whipped a few times because it's fun or I like to be spanked. But don't they still report pain? I mean, we know what causes pain. If I hit you hard, mm. it's going to be painful. And whether you like it or not like it, that's the subjective element. Mm. But the pain itself is a data point that's externally verifiable evidentially right, right. and falsifiable and reproducible well, and I don't everything think, else scientific I could throw at it. I don't think that it's externally reproducible because the pain is a report of the subjective experience of the data. Not so, you, so you don't think we could line up 10 people and hit them in the head with a baseball bat and get the same result? They all say that hurt. Yeah, but it's not evidence that's it's not a, evidence that pain is an is it's, a it's a is subjective a verifiable report. evidential thing that we can not of the can, same quality that you're gesturing to with scientific evidence. You're saying mor moral evidence is of a different category than scientific evidence. Well, there is a more subjective bend there. I mean, you do have to take into account the 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 subject. So let's mm. get back to the whipping. Do you th don't you think ten for ten if we lined people up? And, and whipped them in the back with a bullwhip, that they would 10 for 10 say, yes, that hurt. If they were honestly reporting their experience? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then maybe one out of those 10 would say, but I kind of liked it. Okay. Right? Maybe. Sure. So maybe one out of those 10 was like, no, I'm cool with that. You could whip me every once in a while. And nine out of 10 would say no. That is an example of the subjective element of morality that we have to take into account. Mm. When we're determining morality, we don't have to worry about whether or not Jupiter enjoys orbiting the sun. Mm. That's the difference. That's all objectively verifiable. Mm. There's no subjective element to it because Jupiter is not a subject. It mm. doesn't have an experience. But when we're talking about morality, we're talking about human beings. Mm. And human beings have an, an experience and it's a varied experience. That's what I'm saying. I understand what you're saying and I agree with you. But Wonderful. <laughs> I feel like what I am not getting any buy-in from you on is that the, um, well, so let me make this point and then try to follow it up because I feel like yeah, we're okay. go we're, we've gone in a circle for, for a few minutes here now, right? We're, we're going back and forth on this point. K kind we're not of. making progress here. What, what, no, I think we just made progress. You said you agree with. So what's happened now is I've sufficiently described to you why I think empathy the thing that you said aligns you with reality and tells you that raping a child is immoral. I think now I've sufficiently described to you why I believe that is an evidential experience. Those are things, those are evidences, those mm. are data points in the real world that we draw from to inform our empathy. Mm. We recognize that being whipped is painful and we empathize with the person being whipped. Mm. And it's because of those data points. I think that the data points come after. I think that the subjective experience of empathizing arises first. But potentially, I, I agree with that. So, But I don't see how that invalidates my point. But anyway, you wanted to get to another... Well, my point is that I don't think you're recognizing that what I'm saying is that by shifting the goalposts on what is knowledge in the moral realm, you're abandoning a purely scientific position. You, you have a... You keep saying because human beings, but that's not an argument. That's just an assertion. 
I don't see how that's an assertion. You're making an assertion evidence. about subjective experience, right? But we've already established earlier in the conversation that we don't even know if subjective experience is real, Com- whether consciousness is real. Well, we, we can say subjective experience is real. We just don't know if consciousness is an element of it, or we, we just don't know how to define consciousness. I don't think anybody said subjective experience isn't real. Well, what is con? Okay. Maybe we shouldn't have that conversation. Yeah, we don't know. The answer is I don't know. Okay. Neither do you. So you don't know what it is, but you know that it's bad when it hurts. What's bad? Subjective experience. Negative subjective experience is morally bad. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about whether or not human beings are being are flourishing or or experiencing a lot of pain and suffering then you're now talking about morality yes but those are definitional claims that you're making you haven't made an argument in favor of them i i feel like i have okay i I feel like what the what i just went through taking your position taking your experience of why you say child rape is bad Mm. and using i just used one of the four things i believe you said four things maybe it was three i used one of those things and we i said okay let's do a deep dive let's talk about empathy right like and i i made that case for you that's my case Mm. that's why i think that that we have empathy for Mm. one is because we can experience pain we recognize that other people do as well. Mm. This was hard-fought information. I don't think we always knew that. I don't think we always knew, for instance, that we felt pain and so did everybody else. Mm. I'm not sure that that's the case. Okay. But we, we do know that now. We could tie up 10 people and crack a whip across their back. And 10 for 10, people would say, yeah, that hurt. Mm. But the moral determination is whether or not the person wanted it to happen or not and so if that one out of ten said i'm cool with it in that one case we don't have an immoral act Mm. but what i'm what i'm also saying is is your reason for being empathetic is tied directly to evidence and and reality well i think i would say i would agree with you that it's tied to you already did my empirical experience of reality i have to see that the person has suffered in order to believe that you know like I have to listen to their account in order to take in the information that they've been raped. Exactly. That's why we but, have to address the human, the 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 subject. I'm, but know, I think we're in full agreement now. Well, that's a strange um, to say that that morality is evidence based on those grounds is very odd because there would be no other way of assessing the morality of other people's behaviors other than your your experience of what they have done like if i didn't see or hear or sense or touch any of the evidence of their their immoral action i would never make a judgment about it in the first place i'm sorry i don't know that i'm following you you're saying that we saw empathy Mm -hmm. okay so go ahead i just want to make sure we're not losing empathy here well i can't have empathy for someone for whom I haven't had any empirical sense of what's happened to them. Uh, I don't. Why not? Uh, why can't you have empathy? Because I people? haven't heard about them. I don't know that they exist. Okay. Like someone has been raped, but I don't know anything about it. 
I can have like theoretical empathy for them, but I can't have empathy for that person. I don't know who they are. Right? Do you need to know the person personally? Is that what you're saying? No, you're missing the point. The okay. point is if I don't know that they've been raped, I can't have the experience of empathy for them. Sure. So you're talking about Granted. The, you're talking about the evidence that they've been raped, but it just sounds like you're talking about my empirical sense of finding out that they have been raped. That's not science. Like somebody told me that they were raped and I saw that they were bleeding and they had a bruise. Mm -hmm. Like that's not science. That's just me interacting with the world. That's how I interact with the world. I listen to people's reports and I, I, I see things that are true. Like, I mean, I see, I don't see how that's evidence in any, in any scientific way. Okay. Like, you don't if think we that went the to outside court, world is right? evidential? That that, your, your big problem with my worldview, or it sounds like, is that there's no connection between the outside world and my conscious experience. That I have a subjective mind that we don't understand consciousness, so we can't build a clear and credible bridge from the subge subjectiveness of my head to mm. the objectivity of the world. Mm. But what you just described was you interacting with things outside of your head in the world. That's that's right, but that doesn't make it so science. So that's science. No, that's what you're saying science can't do is it can't get to the subjective. It, it handles the objective just fine. It mm. works in the natural world great. Mm. We already agreed to that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, science gives us an understanding of the world. Mm. Your problem with science's limitations and the reason why you're saying you're denying it mm. is because it can't tell us about consciousness, mm. that which does science in the world. Mm. But you didn't disagree that science has huge advancements. It seems to work whether or not we understand consciousness. So that's you doing science in the world. Whether you, whether you think that you're not collecting data points, you named three. You said a, a bruise, a cut, and an account. Right, but that's not science. Yes, it is. Those are data points. Data, that's what science is. It's data is taking not science. into account the... No, it's the Science is the method of how we how we rank data, mm. how we collect data, and then how we test that data. And then the theory is right. the narration of what we think reality is based on all that data, and which is contradicted by none of that data. Right? Well, science is a methodology. Exactly. <laughs> Explains most of the data we would go for, right? Um, I think a scientific theory is that which is supported by all the data and uh, is contradicted by none. That is the definition of a scientific theory. Well, then I don't think any scientific theories work in that sense, right? Like relativity. No, I think they do. I think, I think we have a pretty good understanding that relativity so far as a theory is supported by all the evidence and contradicted by none of it. It's contradicted by the fact that it doesn't match up with the... Uh, the quantum model of the universe, right? Like, uh, no, it, there's a gap there. You're pointing out a gap. It doesn't. Ha it doesn't. It's not contradicted. There's just no connect. We don't know what the connection is. Mm. There's no contradiction between particle physics or uh, what was the example used? Sorry, quantum. I think quantum. Yeah, like the quantum and the theory of relativity we just don't know what the linkage is yet we don't know how to well, it sounds like you're hedging on that because we have quantum data but you'd have to show an actual contradiction the quantum what? model doesn't explain the quantum data sorry the relativity model doesn't explain the quantum data they're on totally different scales though you wouldn't expect something but you said a theory explains all the data Rel the theory of relativity is supported by all the data that supports relativity <laughs> 
I mean, come on, that's what that's what we're talking about. If you're on a different scale, it's it's like the theory of relativity has nothing to say about biology. So it doesn't explain all the data. Well, explains there's the... no theory. There's, you're never, ever, ever going to get any kind of theory that explains all of every data point ever. Mm. You get data points that you collect that prop up a theory, that explain or become the factual basis of the explanatory capability of a theory. But relativity doesn't have anything to do with, let's say, evolution. Evolution is supported by all the evidence of evolution and contradicted by none. The mm. same as relativity, the same as quantum theory. But you wouldn't use quantum physics to describe evolution. It's a completely different... It's complete, first of all, it's a completely different scale. Mm. One is of the you know subatomic, and the other is of the most complex life forms on the planet, you know, known to man. They're just two completely different fields of science. Yeah, I understand that. But you said that a theory explains all the data, and I'm pointing out we go through a process of selecting the relevant data to fit a theory to. Well, I think you have it the other way around. If you're saying it, if you ex understand what I just said, then 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 you wouldn't have said what you just said. A theory describes all the data and is it is contradicted by none of it, right? And how do we form new theories? But you're saying all the data that's known to man, but there is data that that supports the quantum theory. Mm. There is data that supports the theory of relativity, mm. and then there's separate data that supports the theory of evolution. Mm. These are not the same data. These are not the they, they can't be applied to each other. These are separate theories that support and, and are making claim to separate things. Mm. Anyway, we're a little bit off track. I don't want to get too far off track. Okay. Um, and I feel like we might be running to the end of okay. what... I don't know. How do you feel? I, I well, feel pretty good. Uh, I can go on, I but think, I don't want to lose I think that, um, that, durability. Yeah. I think that we... Uh, I would like to finish making two points about the moral... Um, epistemology that you brought up, which is that, in my opinion, when talking about the, um, the basis of morality, you're comfortable moving from objective evidence to subjective evidence. Absolutely. You haven't given a justification for that. You've just said, that's what being human is. No, I've said, because we're dealing with human subjects, we must now take into account subjective evidence. Mm. That's my justification okay. for bringing subjectivity, personal account. Essentially, mm. like, if you say it's my personal account that the, you know, the earth was, or the whole cosmos was created in seven mm. days. Now, on the first day, God said this, and the second day, God said that, and so on. Mm. That's my testimony. Okay. That's what I think happened. Okay. As that relates to how uh, the universe was actually came into existence, that is on the lowest form of evidential mm. You know, that's the lowest form of evidence. If you have a pyramid of evidence, the actual data that tells us what happened during the Big Bang, the background radiation, mm. so on and so on, right? That's what's at the top of the pyramid. The bottom is what any person might say it is, right? Okay. Any account. But when we're talking about subjects, when we're talking about humans, these are human subjects, people. We have to take into their account their subjective account of the events because we're trying to determine if they have been wronged. Mm -hmm. and so they have to say, I've been wronged. Mm. They have to, you know, they have to confirm our suspicion. Mm. We've got all this other evidence that you alluded to, 
right? We have video of what we think is a rape. Well, let me stop there and, and say... And now we have to, sub- I, we have to say, did I, this really happen? I brought that up as, a, um, as a, a particularity for that moment in the conversation, but we don't need video of evidence to prove that no. rape is wrong, right? No, we, no, we, we don't. We don't need objective evidence. In fact, in the objective evidence... Once again, I'm trying to make this point that underlying the interpretation of that evidence is a hierarchy of subjective values for which there is no evidence. But you, you, you listed one of your alignments with reality as empathy. Mm-hmm. This is one of your values. Mm-hmm. This is what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. There's no evidence that empathy is a good value. When I asked you what your reason or how you were drawing that connection with empathy, you brought up three evidences in the world. Yeah, but you're sliding past what I'm saying at this moment, which is there's no evidence that empathy is the correct way to interpret this data. Then why are you using it? Well, that's the question I would pose to the scientist. But you brought it up mm-hmm. as one of the reasons why you think raping children is immoral. Right. Why are you using ev- or why right. are you using empathy? But why are you trying to justify my position with scientific evidence? You should be justifying your position with scientific evidence. I'm not. I'm just pointing out that you are using evidence in the real world to support your empathy, which you are claiming is one of the values that that informs your your morality. You're telling me that that's what I'm doing, but I'm trying to suggest to you that that's not what I'm doing. Then then you're going to have to restart then, and we're going to have to figure out what it is you are doing. Well, you shouldn't psychoanalyze what I'm doing, you should present to me what is the correct epistemology for understanding that rape is wrong, right? So, and I don't think that you've... But hold on, hold hold on. I agree with you, and I can do that, and I will do that if you want me to. But initially, when we started this this part of the conversation, you said rape is wrong, full stop. Mm. And I said, I'm not sure that I could agree with that. And then I said, what if I said rape is right, full Mm. stop? And then you started to describe why rape is wrong. Mm. And that's why we went off into that direction. Mm-hmm. What when I'm you saying went is, went into the world of of empathy, which is informed by your understanding of reality, mm. which is in fact outside of your body, yourself. Mm. It is not subjective. You evidenced things that we could look at. Mm-hmm. Those are things that we could look at the rape victim and see and verify and confirm. That's evidence. That's science. That's objective. Well, it's definitely not science because science has a different method, right? We're not going to reproduce the rape in order to verify that it was wrong for this person, but right for this person. Unfortunately, we don't have to. It's been done enough. We we have enough examples that we don't have to rape that kid again and say, did the same thing happen or whatever. But that's not my point. My point is that the data was not collected in a scientific manner. It wouldn't be evident. It wouldn't be like what could be scientific evidence. Yeah, I think it could be scientific evidence. You could collect scientific data about the trauma to the child or to the man, mm-hmm. to the woman. Um, but that evidence is not evidence of wrongdoing. It's evidence that there was a rape. Well, rape and where, is, and where go you're ahead. going with your moral, um, I don't know what to call it, I guess your, your moral epistemology is that moral epistemology has a different basis. It's the report of subjective experience. And we haven't established... Not solely... We do have to take into account when we're talking about morality as subjective element. I concede that to you. Okay. That's, that's I, common that's, ground I'm, that we have, I, I thought. That's not what I'm fighting for. What I'm fighting for is the recognition that 
and I mean fighting in the loosest term. Oh of course, no, right? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What I'm fighting for—we're not going to go in the backyard and pit fight. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm fighting for is that uh, the uh, the epistemology of morality rests on, at some level, an understanding that some subjective experience is inherently bad. So the subject's experience of pain and suffering is inherently bad, and it prevents their human flourishing, I think, is the, uh, the stoic eudaimonia, right? Sure. Um, but that's inherently good. <clears throat> so you're saying that someone's account of suffering is bad. No, I'm saying that that seems to me to be the basis. So when I said that... Uh, I was not, agreeing with you, by the way. Okay. But, well, but, <laughs> well, not someone's account of rape is bad. It's that their experience No, you of said being suffering. Raped. You said the word suffering. That's okay. why I used that word. Their you experience said, of suffering yeah, you said is bad. Their account of suffering is bad. No, it's not their account. It's their experience. Okay. Their account is of their experience, right? Sure. Okay. So I want to say two things. Uh, one is that... Well, I would agree with you, first of all, okay. with what you just said. Great. I just don't know how that's different than what I'm saying. One is that I don't think... Uh, like, I think that that is where the rationalist account of morality sort of comes to a base level. There's no justification. It's just assumed as an axiom. Human suffering is bad human flourishing is good. And we use that to build a morality. Okay. You're saying there's no reason for us to think that that's true? I'm saying there's no evidence that that's true. Same. Yeah. Sorry. Same difference, but okay. Well, the reason is it can be evidence free, right? Like we talked about at the beginning, but we want to connect our reason to evidence. Not, not if you want to have a valid logical right. argument. Like if I, I could start or by a saying, sound logical argument, I should say. Right. Well, that's not exactly true either, right? Like I can have a sound logical argument, which is disconnected from reality. It can be internally consistent, but not useful in any way. Right. So if you want sound and valid logical argument towards what you're saying, it needs to be evidenced in reality. Mm. So it has to be, that's true. where I think the, uh, as far as I can tell, your perspective is coming to this bedrock of suffering is bad, and that's how we can know that when people self-report suffering, you know, assuming other uh, palliative measures that they're they're not lying and all that kind of stuff, right? They're, they're, right, they're telling yeah. the truth. Yeah. That we can make a moral judgment based on their self-report that they were caused suffering by someone else's actions. Yeah. So I think that is. Uh, I haven't heard a. Um, an evidence-based justification for that assertion that, that suffering, suffering is, bad. is bad. Yeah. Okay. Now, the, I think I've done that, but go ahead. Okay. Then the second point that I want to make is that I think this can lead to um, what I would consider at least uh, morally abhorrent conclusions. Okay. And I'll show you a few ways. So if we take the example of maybe ancient... Just, maybe just one for the sake of time. I don't mean to okay. be rude, but... We don't have to do a bunch. Let's just try one in a... In a okay. Go ahead, sorry. So if we take the example of ancient Greece, in which it was the culture to uh, have these young men, older men, uh, mentorships, sure. which were not... And now it's going to sound like I'm providing justification for it, but they weren't, they weren't based around only sex. They were about mentorship and other things, right? But they involved pederasty. And so we would look now, look back at Is there a reason the, why you're not calling it rape? I just, I'm curious about that. You're uh, just calling it pederasty Well, sex with children. 
That's, that's a separate category from just rape, right? But it's child. Is is there any reason why we can't just say child rape? Just to keep it. Continue? No, that's fine. That's fine. Child rape. Just yeah. to equate it to our first Perfect. example. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there. Well. <laughs> so this is my point: is that in that culture, because it was accepted, and children saw it happening to other children as they got to a certain age and so forth, like there there was that. Um, it was just accepted as something that was going to happen to you. Now, I'm sure some of those children would have reported a lot of mental suffering as a result of that. Yeah, but I agree. Let's, let's not even say, let's say for the sake of argument that nine out of 10 children did not report that. Okay. Now we have to come to the moral conclusion, as far as I can see, that um, that, that child rape was not immoral because there wasn't a degree of suffering uh, felt or reported by nine out of 10 of those children. But what about the one? Don't we have that in the one to base our moral decision on? Well, maybe they were, um, um, you know, okay, so <laughs> I'm hypothesizing here, right? In the perspective yeah. of that culture, that one could have been a moral deviant. That person was outside of the moral norm. Maybe they were considered a, a psychopath or just someone who doesn't play along well or wh whatever it is. My point is not that uh, we should be able to conclude from the one that it was still wrong. Why not? Because... Or I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... No, that's you. fine. That's, that's a fair question. Because people experience suffering for all kinds of reasons, and it's not always the moral wrong of the person who's inflicting the suffering on them. Sometimes they just need to get their act in order. But in this case, it's rape by one person. I mean, we have a we have a subject to blame. Yes, but when you say the word rape, you're talking about, you're bringing with this context from our modern sensibility of, of the fact that rape is evil. In that context, you could say the word rape, but it wouldn't have carried with it that weight of moral condemnation. In your context, in the context you're providing in ancient Rome, it's still rape to one out of 10 children. You're bringing that context in as well. Okay. It's not just me okay. trying to smuggle it in. I'm not trying sure. to trick you. We have an example. This is a good example. Mm. You've stacked it in your favor, and I give you that. But you gave me one. That's all I need. Isn't that all I need? Isn't I that really all I need? I don't see how in the moral calculus you know when the suffering of one should be weighed against the pleasure of nine. Who says that those nine can't continue this practice, but we should exclude the one? Mm. Who says that we can't update our moral thinking to say that some children should be, ought to be excluded from this practice, then creating a more moral state? Mm. By saying we have to have one rape victim for every 10 in our societal norm of quote-unquote, mm. educating children in the whatever wiles of sex and whatever they were doing. Why, wouldn't, why, why is that not morally valid the way I stated it there? And well, why are you advocating for the rape of one child? <laughs> That's the problem I'm having with your example. And I'm not saying you're saying this is good. This, right. is, this is the problem. What, what you tried to do, as far as I can tell, was set me up in a situation where you would describe and demonstrate how my moral position leads to an abhorrent mm. outcome. And what you've done is given me an example of your position leading us to that outcome. Mm. I'm the one providing the moral relief mm. by saying we need to take into account that one. So I'm not saying... Well, my moral, nine out of ten people my moral, make it okay to rape one child. 
my moral position is that rape is wrong, that it's built into the nature of the universe that rape is wrong. And that slavery is wrong, that it's built into the nature of the universe that slavery is wrong. I don't, I don't want to use moral calculus to calculate that. I want to be able to say in my morality, rape is always wrong. Slavery is always wrong. And when asked why or how I distinguish your moral statement between somebody who just says, I want to say that rape is right, Hmm. you evidenced reasons, and one of them was empathy. Hmm. I mean, I'm just... Playing back the, well, empathy the, is not a reason. I'm just playing. Empathy it's is a the name. one you gave. It's not a reason, though. It's a name for an emotion. Okay. It's a name for an internal state. So you're building reasons on top of a collection of internal states that I have, and that's great. Why but my isn't point empathy is, empathy a good enough reason? It's to not say a reason. That it's wrong. It's not a reason. That's what I'm saying. Well, you it's then not tied built on it reason. to pain, suffering, I, and right. physical damage. But I didn't found it on those things. Sounded like you did. Where, what are you founding it on if it's not on pain? So why did you say that then? Why don't you just say God or whatever you're going to no, say? Okay, no, so, okay, I see what you're saying. So When I asked you why y- empathy, you said those no, three things. You're saying, so, so here's how I'm interpreting what you're saying. You're saying, why did this empathy arise in you? I asked you, all I said was, is why empathy? Mm-hmm. What, what is it about empathy or no, what, what are you going to I'm trying use? to categorize the question uh, into the framework of what I'm trying to say. When you said, why did you feel empathy? What I hear you asking is, why did the empathy arise in you? Okay. But that's not a justification for the empathy. I'm just telling you, I saw these things in the world and then the empathy happened to me. So what are you, what, it sounds like we're having a problem with the word justification. Why, what is a justification for empathy? According to what you're saying then. I'm saying that empathy is a value that needs no justification. Why? Why are you saying that? What, what, that to me sounds like what you were accusing me of earlier, just saying it without any reason or evidence. That's why, right. are you, why are you saying that? That's right. Is but, it in fact? But, well, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to get you to see is that. But as I far gave as I you can reasons. Tell, yeah, you did. But I'm saying that those reasons come secondary. They're justifications after the empathy has happened. Okay, but you, why are you having empathy then? What's your justification? Empathy I mean, arises. What are you saying? You're just saying it is. Yeah, exactly. So you asked me. So you don't even care why it is. Do you have any, do you have any uh, I don't know, curiosity or wonder about why we're empathetic? Well, you just There's put words in my mouth. Did you see that? And you said you don't even care. I'm sorry. I didn't say that. So this is my point is that the nature of our experience arises within us. We use reason. I wanted to, I want to, I still don't feel like we've, uh, <laughs> like we've drawn a clear line between, I don't want to give the impression that I just go around in the world and whatever things pop up in me, I'm just like, oh, I guess I better do that now. Right. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I am saying that like I do bear witness to the world. If I don't see that someone has been raped, I cannot feel empathy for them. If I do see that they have been raped, then I feel empathy for them. But the empathy doesn't require a reason. The evidence of them being raped will cause me to feel empathy. But is that it, a reason? Isn't that a reason why you felt empathy? Absolutely not. I'm sorry. You, you just said that if you meet somebody that well, wasn't okay, raped, okay. then so, you wouldn't have empathy for them. And if you met somebody that was raped, then you would. It that, sounds like the rape is a reason. You're right. But that's a code switch of the word reason. So a reason that I felt something is not the same thing as using reason and evidence. 
Right. Okay. You see the point I'm making there? No, because you were using reason the same way you just used reason, as the same way I used reason. Okay. Well, so let's draw the distinction now and say to use reason to construct the value of empathy is not what the value of empathy is or how it arises. That would be my assertion. Okay. We don't use logic and reason to construct the value of empathy. We have the value of empathy. It arises in our experience. There are reasons why I feel empathy. That's great. Of course there should be, well, that's a bigger talk, but yes, of course there or stimulus, like that's just a stimulus, right? I take in visual, auditory, factual information, and those are reasons why I might feel empathy, but they aren't a justification for the empathy. So are you trying to draw a line between feeling empathy because something occurred in life or reality or whatever, and why we feel empathy at all, how it evolved in the human being? I'm saying that it... Mm. That is a much longer discussion. And that I just sounded like the distinction you were trying to yes. make. I'm not sure so if let that's me, right. Let but. me cap it off. Like, yeah. let me, maybe this will be a, ne a nice lead into our next conversation. Wonderful. Yes. Okay. I hope we do have another conversation, by the way. I've so, had a really good time. Oh, me too. So, this is uh, coming to, and I know I've said Nietzsche like three times already, and it sounds really pretentious, but uh, this is where Nietzsche's. Uh, exploration of the value of values, I think, is really valuable. Valuable. Um, <laughs> so, if the value of empathy has arisen in us from, let's say, uh, natural selection, right? Good start. Then I don't see what moral. Um, let me see if I can draw this distinction more cleanly here. Okay. What I want to do with my morality is align myself to the nature of the universe and say, these things are good. These things are evil. When I look at basing my morality on values, which have arisen through natural selection. And I, I think we just started to get into a little bit of agreement there that, um, empathy as a value arises, like I don't have a, a justification for it, then what I want to say is that I can't, I don't believe, mm, I don't see, let's say I'm standing within the rational perspective, trying to figure out, trying to make sense of morality in the rational perspective or in the evidence-based perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't see why that feeling of empathy is any more useful to me as a moral guide than any other emotion that I have. Okay. Okay. That was your stab at scientific worldview. Mm. That was your stab at, you know, taking down denying science, reason, and evidence, right? Well, what we just said. to clarify that, yeah. I'm not denying science, reason, and evidence. I'm denying that they are capable of describing all of reality and therefore for helping me construct a worldview, which makes it useful for me to live. All right. Well, as you can see, that conversation wasn't terribly fruitful. Nathan didn't feel like he got buy-in from me, probably because I didn't really understand what he was talking about because he didn't really make a ton of sense. And I didn't get buy-in from him, probably because he can't really buy in. He can't say that I'm right, because then he's wrong. If you listen to the recording, obviously I used his position to demonstrate 
how the very thing he's denying, evidence, reason, so on and so on, are actually what he's using to feel, in this case, his empathy. It's too bad that we couldn't get a little more common ground together, but uh, there's two more discussions to go. I think it was pretty obvious towards the end of this interaction that we were both uh, a little bit frustrated. He had a lot of nervous laughter, and I just sort of was talking with a little bit of exasperation in my voice. Uh, I think after uh, it's all said and done, I think it will become obvious exactly where my position is, where his position is, and how that position is faulty. Now, I thank you very much for listening. I'm going to make this very brief because I understand that that was a very long podcast. Um, Do remember that I'm going to do a summary of these three podcasts, and I'm going to talk about what he said, talk about what I said, and then determine which one of us is correct. Now, I have a long way to go with my reasoning on these topics. And so I have a lot that I can do to improve. But I think it seems obvious, at least after this first conversation, that Nathan is very much in the weeds and doesn't have a foundational basis for his belief, for his morality, and really doesn't have any reason to think that science isn't a tool that can be used to describe all of reality. So in in his initial position, it was to try to undermine science, to try to claim that science couldn't describe all of, of reality. We get into how science does describe reality and he ends up agreeing with me he ends up contradicting himself it gets it gets all over the place i think after this conversation it's safe to say though that nathan's very confused and that i have a long way to go in furthering my moral foundation and the framework that i have for my positions thanks again for listening and uh please please keep listening download our next episode and thank you for listening to ear seduction. Ah, ah,